Greetings, Standard Nerds. This is Tom Catamonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Blake Simmons, number one fanboy. <laughs> guest, super <laughs> number guest one host. good guest host. Yep. Oh, and it's time to release the Kraken. Da, 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 da. Release the Kraken. So, Blake, number one good guest host, how are you? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? Good. Uh, our um, astute listeners may notice that there are two dulcet voices here, mine and yours, but not the third, the voice of reason, Chris, who is currently um, suffering trials and tribulations in the form of a megastorm of fire and pain bearing down on him in Pocatello, Idaho, uh, in the form of a wildfire combined with a thunderstorm and heavy winds. These are threatening things that are most important to him that he holds dear, primarily his internet connection. So therefore it's going to be you and I in this particular recording. I rely on you for both facts and amusement entertainment. And I'm going to be the straight voice and offer no positive commentary whatsoever. It's all you. I'm calling shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so last week we tried to do a recording. Uh, but wait, talk- I, was just, I was just going to interject one thing real quick. How dare you? So, so basically, Already? Po- yeah, Pocatello is basically King's Landing. And, you know, in the what? episodes that we're going over tonight, it's very apt that he's facing a firestorm, uh, given the content that we're going to be reviewing. The only place where Pocatello is King's Landing is mayor, maybe in the <laughs> in the mindset of the mayor of Pocatello, if there is a mayor. Maybe I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you this. It is a minor. It is a minor keep on the edge of a frontier that's about to be overrun. Well, I'll guess that. It's my favorite stop, minor the first, The first stop on the, the, what do they call it? The loop train. The loop train. <laughs> <laughs> so we were going to record comments on episode three last week. Um, and in that particular scenario, we tried. Um, I was a little yeah. late getting on and I missed the critical window with you, which is that sweet spot between consciousness and the abyss and I missed it. <laughs> and you and fell it was asleep. about five minutes. It's yeah, about five, five minutes. minutes. Horizon before we slip into the abyss. Yes, and then, and then you and I both work in Joe's, and we're pretty overworked and under underslept. So I totally see how that goes. So we missed our, our window, and then I went camping, and you went to save the world some more. And uh, and then here we are. So we're going to do last night episode four. It's very hard to remember episode three at this point. And that's the thing about this season, right? Every single episode is the second to last episode of any other season. <laughs> right? <laughs> when you're always dancing with the penultimate one, yeah. it makes it kind of tough. Yeah, yeah. It's like every single one has so much. I remember watching last week's and being having that slack-jawed feeling when it ended. And then, then this week when it ended, it, my jaw was gone. Yeah. So... But hey, before we begin, I want to know, let's do a micro-sucking-the-monkey segment. I'm wondering, what are you having? What's your refreshing beverage over there? I'm just doing the the standby bullet on rocks. Bullet on rocks. Mm-hmm. I'm having a rum and coke in a sweet, sweet Guardians of the Galaxy 2 pint glass from the ah. Alamo Draft House. Um, with one exception, it's not really coke. I'm having refreshed cola from Safeway, which is absolute garbage. <laughs> but I saw it right as I was checking out, and I was like, well, that'll do. That is the worst kind of impulse buy, my friend. 
It's true. It's true. Well, anyway, so it's going to get me through in a pinch. Hey, I don't need my stomach lining. Let's get some flesh. <laughs> I just don't want to be someone else's menudo down the road. So. Well, uh, or tripe. <laughs> yeah. So uh, anyway, let's dive right in. So these are our um, our attempts at weekly uh, reaction slash commentary slash uh, uh, nerding out about uh, Game of Tolls while it's on. Um, not to be confused with the long-form monthly broadcasts that Robot Kraken releases, but these are the more urgent ones. So it's basically mm-hmm. kept to... Game of Thrones as a subject matter, although you did mention that you were just watching Ozark, and we definitely need to be talking about that in a future segment, because uh... And I think we got to do a little bit of, you know, just geek out stuff about um, things that are on the horizon as well. Yeah, you're right. I, we're going we're gonna to have to follow up, do another one, and, and, and add yeah. to our monthly thing, because, yeah, there's just too much going on to not yeah. be talking about it. What a time to be a standard nerd, huh? It is Every incredible. Every day. It's incredible. Every I just imagine. What, I just imagine what it's going to be like in twenty years, and besides me, you know, in a walker. I was. But, um, I was going to say I've seen it, and it's Logan. <laughs> it's Logan. Yeah. Right? Gonna, <laughs> I've seen oh, the pus coming out of your knuckles. <laughs> I was going to say I'm going to be in the Professor X role, and you're going to be in the Caliban role. But otherwise, technology, everything else can be about that. Don't leave me alone with that fucking albino. <laughs> you know. You know Talking about standard nerd current events, we won't be. But the one thing I was just thinking this morning, this is the state of things where, well, there's two states of things. One, uh, where you get up in the morning and there are photos of uh, Brolin as Deadpool, or as uh, Cable and Deadpool. And you Mm -hmm. think right off the bat, well, that's a photo manip from Boss Logic. And it's not. So that's the one thing. We're getting to the point where they're just going to drop stuff like that, um, you know, on a Monday morning. And no one is even expecting it and there it is and you th- you almost don't even think it's real yep. and, and then the other thing that uh our buddy blair uh pointed out was that um this is the state of critical fandom right now is that everybody was pissed off that his shirt was the wrong color i wasn't blue i mean come on <laughs> ladies and gentlemen get a grip uh, it's too <laughs> late for that but okay back to the game of tolls so episode three the queen's justice so I thought we'd just kind of go through the different uh, the different areas in the realm, talk about what happened, mm-hmm. comments, mm-hmm. thoughts. So it started out in Dragonstone, right? And this is mm. the arrival of Jon Snow and Davos to uh, meet Tyrion and uh, Missandei, and uh, ultimately to meet Daenerys, which was the thing that one of the one of the things that we've been watching and waiting for for season after season. Finally, well, for happening. ten years, for ten yeah. years, right? I mean, since right. the books came out, that was a song right. of fire and ice. There, there it was, right, and, right and, there. And as and as and until this past week's episode, it was the big moment that everyone is waiting for until the next one. So, but uh, so I guess uh, you know, in short, John is uh, making his cl- making his statements and his claim about what he needs and who he who he is and. And his sort of far far fetched uh, um, statements about what's beyond the wall and what's coming and how little the Game of Thrones actually matters, and uh, and right in the midst of all of this uh, sort of intense back and forth with uh, him and Daenerys about bending the knee and such, uh, she gets the news that her uh, fleet has been destroyed by Euron and. Uh, immediately has to basically cut it short mm-hmm. says he's not quite in he's not quite a prisoner but at the same time don't go anywhere also he doesn't have a boat <laughs> and he doesn't have a sword and um and i guess the other things of note here were that um 
that uh, Melisandre took off, talked to Varys, and then took off before John showed up, which was on a red alert yeah. to Varys. Yeah, well, and and then we we're going to come back and talk yeah, yeah. about all these plots in detail because that was a very fascinating conversation. In fact, one of the best in the episode, I think. Oh, absolutely. But, except for know, the yeah, after the last one, but there was the, the final. yeah, but there was some awareness. There were some uh, sort of epiphanies in this in this whole yes. sequence of Dragonstone. Uh, Daenerys's epiphany that uh, she can't just steamroll over John, um, and that by announcing that you know the, the Targaryens are back, that. Uh, you know, uh, ruler, you know, minor nobles as she sees them are not going to just immediately drop as she was hoping. So it doesn't go according to plans. So one in a string of not according to plan for her. Mm-hmm. Um, Tyrion finally has the epiphany that maybe this White Walker stuff is real. And Varys starts to realize that there's, you know, something interesting going on with Melisandre and why she wants to skip town. And he's also told, well, actually, more importantly, is told that he's going to die in Westeros. And she makes makes comments that allude to something from his past, which shocks him. Um, and ultimately, at the end of the scene, Daenerys gives John the right to mine the Dragonstone. Uh-huh. So, talking about this scene, holy shit, right? Yep. <laughs> it was super intense. Well, I mean, the, the, the whole episode was uh, kind of over before it even began. I, but the. Uh... That intro scene with John and Daenerys is really good, and I really liked when they're giving the introductions. And uh, Sir Onion, the the master of few words, <laughs> decides to. <laughs> yeah, this is Jon Snow. He's a great dude. Uh, <laughs> it's like no, it was Jon Snow. Beat, beat, beat. His king of the north. <laughs> yeah, and, so, then the, and then the and the comparing of pedigrees, and then the battling historical lineages and perspectives about. Uh, Parents gone wrong and parents gone bad and breaking bad and all that good stuff. Which is was, which uh, was a great. I mean, which was one of those great themes about a lot of the protagonists on this show has been: Are you are you or are you not following in the foot, footsteps of your parents, regardless of what you intended? Uh-huh. So many of the characters are veering down the paths, even if they thought they are not. Um, pretty pretty typical theme in literature, but anyway, interesting to watch. Uh, we see more of that in this most recent episode too, but. Um, so do you think, I was wondering, do you think, uh, also, do you have a dragon back there? Cause I came here. <laughs> no, Carrion's K- watching another show in the, in the uh, background. Here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, do you think that Davos is blunt or ill-prepared or what? Cause I couldn't decide as they were, um, unveiling both th- like that sequence of his, you know, this, this sort of abrupt explanation of who John is, but then also how he was kind of stumbling over, sweet talking uh masande you know is he just is he blunt or just not prepared for what he's doing i can't decide but 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 you got to remember it so to me in the books like he was always the roughest he was the most uh ill-equipped to deal with uh loyalty right Mm -hmm. he was never he was never comfortable in his role with baratheon um stannis right yeah so he was always thrust in the limelight and always felt awkward about it um but what was what i found also interesting is that he didn't. I mean, the notion that his sons died in that <laughs> battle at King's Landing. Yes, and Tyrion was the one who lit him up. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, we almost beat won. us. <laughs> yeah, but but it's, it's like he is the only one who's not looking for immediate revenge. Um, yeah. uh, to the same extent that everyone else is. 
and it's it's very intriguing to see the that 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 arc and see where it's going to land because I don't know if he's just resolved and resigned to his fate and he just knows he's not coming out the other side of this he knows he's expendable or if he's harboring some master plan to just screw everybody over at the very end where he can um, build in trust and then strike back in a kind of a pyrrhic victory kind of thing it'll be very interesting to see that play out well you know i don't think he's done he's not done by any stretch i i feel like um i feel like him not referencing his son's death is just one of those um casualties of a compressed storyline and a, a shifting direction in what the writers want to focus on but i but i do think that his i've always read him as being very very gruff but straight he's very kind but he's very well he's kind towards certain people particularly young women but he's very um well girls I mean, yeah, girls, girls straight, right, right. Yeah. but he's but he's very he's a straight shooter and he's just got no no patience for bullshit which has always been what's made watching him so interesting but at the same time what i also find um uneven in the narrative is that um you know we had that scene where melisandre's like well i gotta split before uh, john snow shows up and it seems to be more about the you know her her prophecy issues and what she did or didn't do and and specifically about his reincarnation or what are not reincarnation, but his being brought back to life um, by the fire God. But also she has more to, I think she had more to um, emotionally deal with in seeing Davos again, because oh, yeah. Davos was the sort of, was as much a father figure to um, Shireen as obviously Baratheon was. More. Yeah, more. more. So to, you know, in, in my view, it, you know, her being there when Davos lands would be more would be more dangerous than Jon Snow seeing her. Do you know what I mean? Jon Snow yeah, just but, kicked her out. But but then I guess is it is it because she was an innocent who got killed unjustly, and then his son it was a victim of war, and in war people die, and that he's just he he's just comfortable with that, or at least more at peace with it than um, that ritual burning alive oh. that happened with Shireen. So it, I just. You know, especially later in this episode when Cersei and the whole scene with Tyene and Alaria, mm-hmm. um, and I'm gonna you're gonna have to watch your daughter die and rot in front of you. This oh. whole this whole revenge thing that that continues throughout and repeating the mistakes of the past because you're driven by revenge and falling into the same traps. It's just interesting that Davos doesn't seem to be driven to that same extent as everybody else. Well, and also um, that's another common thing that's been running through Game of Thrones, which is um, children suffering because of the sins of their parents. Children being the victims mm-hmm. of the warmongering of the parents, mm-hmm. um, which of course is histor- historically fairly legit and uh, is good drama for this show. But it's really hard to watch as a parent. You know, it's a long, long-running joke across a number of places where you know people with parents, p- people with kids say, "Oh, well, you know, as a parent, this is tough." And people who don't have kids are like, "Yeah, yeah, I, I thought it was tough too." But it's really true that when you have offspring and you see things like this, children being killed in front of their parents or children suffering because of the actions of their parents, it's heavy because, you know, you immediately internalize it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, it's tough. It's really tough. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so that's that's, that, that's pretty tough. So did, did you think that um, Daenerys's uh, composure and um, sort of the direction that she took in these uh, first encounters with Jon were consistent with what you were expecting or did you think it went a different direction than kind of maybe what you thought it was going to do? Well, I, I think there was this expectation and I also think she 
put far too much weight on Tyrion's shoulders on executing this battle plan that she had. But I think she is still trying to figure out what kind of queen she wants to be. Yes. And, and she has a game that worked, Yep. Uh, you know, down south. And she expects that game to work up here. And, the, you know, I have three dragons, so everybody should just bow down um, as a result of that. I mean, and I think we're going to see more of that in the interim. But it was... Uh, it well, was very telling. It was very telling that she was um, so dismissive of John and thought he was just a lunatic, and uh, but then she was forced to change her approach when all of her current allies uh, vaporized, eviscerated. Yeah, they all sublimated. So well, but also you know I think, um, uh, and we talk about this a little bit more as we go with uh, with with what happens with the Unsullied and with um, the fleet, but. No, there's a lot about a lot here where the the narrative blurs between what we know. Well, first of all, the layer of the book readers and what their mm-hmm. expectations are, and then the layer of the viewer and what their expectations are based on the way the narrative is structured, and then then finally the layer of information that each of these characters has. And you know, a lot has been made in the last few weeks about how the tropes of the earlier seasons that showed the system, the infrastructure mm-hmm. of this world have fallen apart in the compressed storytelling for the sake of drama, which the producers and writers have even admitted. They've talked about it openly on Twitter that they don't, you know, they're just going for drama now and they don't care. And I personally have no problem with that. But, you mm-hmm. know, when previously they established to my satisfaction that the Raven system was a way of getting information across great distances and was such a thing that there was this you know, it's like Harry Potter and the owls, right? It's that, yeah. it's that it's, this is the mail system. And I think with the messaging system that everyone who has any, you know, has any education and means uses to get information, both in a military and non-military environment. And then all of a sudden in these last, this season, basically all this critical information is happening, happening at certain points. And then no information is being rapidly disseminated to people who need to, to know it, um, to great negative effect. And, I think it's easy to, you know, watch this as a viewer and be like, well, you know, it used to be that everyone would know what was going on and now no one is being told what's happening um, and it's affecting the storyline. And then on the other hand, we're saying, you know, how do characters know this or that about has happened if we're not seeing them get ravens? And I think a lot is getting lost in the compression. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't care, but it's something that's happening. However, I think that um, she's coming down hard on Tyrion. And then also we're a little frustrated watching her assumptions, but both of them are acting on the intelligence they have and are being very reasonable in their assumptions in my mind. Tyrion had very clever plans, and they were really well described in the previous episode. The yeah, overlay just, of him describing it while it's happening. It's just that Neris and, and Jamie are more deviant and more Cersei. cunning. Cersei and Jamie are more cunning and deviant and uh, skilled at this than pretty much anybody else. Well, I think, um, you know, partly in one of the issues I've had with these last two episodes uh, has been that I have this feeling that um, I feel like we're players in a, in a, in a game of Dungeons and Dragons where the DM is throwing things left and right to force the story direction they want to go. And they're mm-hmm. using, you know, Deus Ex Machina at, you no matter what right mm-hmm. and i think that that's it feels that way so that's part of the casualty of the compressed storytelling right like the 
I think that Tyrion's plan was legit. I think that the idea of going oh, yeah. after, you know, going after Castle Rock made a lot of sense and he had no reason. I mean, it was very rational. And while it was a great, you know, shock at the end of last episode that Castle Rock was a decoy and left largely undefended and used as a means to lure the fleet in. Um, but then they're going after Highgarden for the money. It makes sense in retrospect, but it's... Mm-hmm. But it feels very much like a DM's response to players' choices, right? Well, but I, it, I guess another thing is I, I thought the Seven Kingdoms were a lot bigger than these troop movements well, and everything yeah. else would would allow, right? So I thought Hightower was much more than just a week's ride from, <laughs> you know, well, Casually Rock. And, and it's just like, oh, we just moved over here. And then, boop, we're moving the, the loot train back. Boop, we're doing this. And what took a really long time. Uh, to travel and and go across this world um, suddenly seems trivial, and the uh, you know Huon's uh, Euron's fleet movement seems to be you know enabled by hurricane force winds. Uh, <laughs> there are a number of problems. There are a number of problems with that, but you know, but 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 hold on, we have to talk about that. But the other thing I was going to say was you know it's actually quite rational for Daenerys to think that she's going to steamroll. Even setting, even leaving out the Unsullied and, and leaving out the Dothraki and all this, these other um, invasive forces that um, that the Westeros haven't seen in centuries, the idea that she has three full, fully grown dragons, um, it, it's very rational that she would think that that's it. That's all she needs. She's just going to lay waste yeah. to everything. Because, well, but, but yeah, if she's going to turn into the Mad Queen, that's what she would do. Correct. She just burn correct. everything. But there is no at that point. There has been no evidence to suggest that a large dragon could be eliminated by any human weapon or tactic until yeah, so, the magical. Yeah, let's talk. Let's get ahead of ourselves. All right, but right, but right now she thinks that the dragons are pretty much invulnerable and immortal. She's showing up. She's showing up with the nukes and <laughs> is being told not to use them, and then getting stuck in a land war. Well, okay. In a war with multiple fronts. In a war war with multiple fronts. It's also interesting. She does have one tactician who understands the powers at at work, understands his his own family and their personalities, and sees the the big game. But she's going up against... She is still an invading force. Yes. Doesn't know... And she herself does not know Westeros the way... Obviously, the way the Lannisters do. So that's interesting. They've or set up... Well, yeah, but they set up the beginning of the season as, you know, Cersei is doomed on all sides. And then they're showing her a little bit, like I said, a little bit of this, uh, you know, just kind of a magic reweighing of the scales. But yeah, she's she's mm-hmm. making gains in a way that's... They're trying to prolong the... They're pro- prolonging this this side of the story until we get to the walkers, and I understand that. But yeah, but I but I also it, it, the, I do applaud the screenwriters and the directors and the and keeping the thread of um, the power and dominance of women. Yes, in this in this show in particular, in that speech, that little soliloquy yes. that the narrative has, where you know I've been sold like a broodmare, I've been defiled, and et cetera, et cetera. And the only thing that kept me going was a belief in myself. And I thought that was um, that was a really powerful moment. And then, and then the same thing with Cersei, uh, with Tyene and Hilaria at the end. Again, kind of a, a twisted, sick version of it, but still right. very powerful. And very the power resilient. women, the power women on yeah. the show, 
have all persevered by surviving brutality mm-hmm. and using it uh, gender specific brutality you know rapes and subjugation um whereas the males in the show that have persevered have persevered through awesomeness alone uh-uh. um with the exception uh-uh. jamie no. and john snow did not persevere by awesomeness alone i don't know right man. jamie getting his hand cut off yeah so that 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 was the, i think that changed him right i mean that, that oh, it was totally like, did and that well yeah. and they really have grown him his character has changed in yeah. its in his in his uh moral compass which has been great he's he's definitely an anti-hero i mean you really enjoy mm-hmm. jamie and you want him to succeed somehow well that's been that's the whole thing about the season is you don't know who to root for right Oh, I know who to refer. But I'm just saying. <laughs> but I'm just saying that the male protagonists on either side have not been, um, you know, sexually humiliated and subjugated and and brutalized uh, the way the females have, and that's that is a certain uh, um, overlay on the on the viewpoint of the writers that I find interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's period appropriate, sort of, except. Women I think, fear. but I would, I would, I would still say Tyrion has gone through shit and come out, yeah, a survivor uh, by his own wits and a faith in himself and alcohol. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I just don't see it as one sided. I can see that the the sadists come out because they think they're all high and mighty, and uh, like, except for you know what happened uh, at the bastards, mm-hmm. the battle of the bastards. Um, but a lot of it is hubris, and I think we're going to see the same thing with Euron, right? He's, he's, so. he, he's setting himself up for a spectacular end. Um, the harder they Joffrey, fall, right? right? And Joffrey, right? I mean, the, these yeah. these folks all kind of set themselves up for the failed for the for their for their own doom. But at the same time, that's <clears> a, a running theme with Jon Snow is that he does the his gut instinct, good right thing to do at the expense of the smart thing, and gets slapped for it. And this well, maybe the one it. time he, yeah, he, he died, died for it. But this yeah. may be the one time, well, at least we hope, where <laughs> sticking to his guns is the right thing and it works. Um, you mentioned from a minute ago that uh, you were talking about the the incredible space-time challenges that the show has suddenly <laughs> presented us with. And I, I totally get why it's frustrating because I get really frustrated. I'm still more frustrated at um, Euron building a thousand-ship fleet uh, out of no raw materials, no time, and no labor force. Um, than well, I am about no their wood. rapid expansion. And no wood. And no There's wood, no wood on saying. the Iron Islands. Have you read that stuff about how many hectares of forest it would require for each of those larger ships and 18 months of construction with a full crew and a dock and everything else? And, anyway. and not only that, he, he makes a warship that appears to have, you know... Bonus sales. of technology beyond yes. anything we've seen It has before. bonus sales and everything. How I, dope. I wanted to see him pull up in a steamboat. Like, yeah. what the? <laughs> How happy was I, though, that there was crack and stuff all over it, right? I mean, come oh, on. Oh, yeah. That, that was very appropriate for this podcast. But And those crazy extra sails. I mean, everything about it is it's the most amazing looking um, you know, naval warship I've ever seen. I think it's amazing. However, yes, he's zipping around uh, at irrational speeds. Also, he knows where he's going. Now, there's two things to that. Oh, and then also everybody else is moving at a rapid pace. They're moving around the map as if it's nothing, and time seems to be highly compressed. Sure. That said, I still think it's just a it's just a, a casualty of the compressed storytelling. Of course. Of but course. It, but at the same time, I think the problem is it's not consistent. We don't have a consistent... We don't have a sense. There's nothing in the structure of how the show is presented to give us that, like, 
fade out, fade in to suggest that there's been time. Other shows that have a structure in the storytelling that give you beats of time or give you a timestamp or something can give you that sense of how, how much time has passed between scenes. This show does not have any of that. So it's fade in, fade out, and it's been weeks or rationally been weeks, but you can't really tell. That's part of the problem that people are rallying, railing against. But also, look at, I mean, between these last two episodes, Euron's fleet apparently has been split in two because he's in two different places mm-hmm. at the same time, right? And we yeah. even see it in the second episode. We see silence. Silence yeah. is the ship. We see it twice. Yes, but just don't, don't, we can't go there. We got to no. go, we got to be methodical. Uh, we got to be linear. I know. You're right. You're right. Now, I, I understand from the books that his ship is supernatural in the books and not in the yeah. show, right? Yeah. Swabbed with blood on the decks and it has special powers and whatever else. Also, I read some uh, some really cool, not right, not correct, but really cool, uh, um, uh, well-reaching uh, fan theory that he's got a red priest uh, right. chained up somewhere that's giving him tips on what's going to happen and that's how he happens to be at all the right places at the right time but i don't think yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> that's but, retconning yeah. seriously <clears throat> yeah okay so anyway um do you think daenerys is being set up as showing the warning signs of going mad in the tradition of her lineage yes or certainly they're making us they're certainly trying to get us to feel that's happening because of her yeah. increasingly aggressive response to things well, it's not, it's not that she doesn't. She acts like a petulant child. Like I didn't get my way. I'm gonna pick up my dragons and throw fireballs from high orbit. Um, yeah. <laughs> right. And and I think uh, I think that's why they ha- they have these advisors set up so strongly. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see if anything happens to those advisors. Right. What happens to her? Um, you know, like if something happens to Melisandre or Tyrion, I think it's going to be really bad for her. And then, you know, I don't know if there's any going to be anything with the, uh, you know, who she's going to pair up with romantically at some point, because you know that will happen. Oh, yes. Um, oh, yes. And, and everybody's betting Jon Snow, you know, to the, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but um, we'll see. It'll be interesting. Well, but I think that's. But, but I, do think, I do think she's showing the Targaryen inbreeding impact. <laughs> that's very possible. She's a little and, bit unhinged. But I do think also a lot of this is the forced drama of, of the story. We they 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 hammered to us in the beginning of this season that Cersei was surrounded, had insufficient uh, forces, um, had too much territory and couldn't cover it. Oh, deeply to the bank, and was running and had no more heirs. And was running out of option and was very clearly unhinged, scaring the shit out of her own brother. And then they turn around and have her getting victory after victory after victory. I think in the same way they're pushing that Daenerys is, whoa, she's being a little crazy. Is she going to be a mad queen? And then I think then they're going to say, oh, she's pulled back and tempered by following the advice of calmer people the way her father never did. And that's going to be, you know, everybody's going to cheer. But what I find interesting here is that um, what we know about John's lineage is that, you know, <laughs> you also have the potential for a double whammy <laughs> of, of, of a pissy Targaryen. So I don't know. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not sure I'm seeing great characterization as much as um, shit. We got to we got to wrap this up. There's a lot of plot Cliff notes. driven yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Not that I'm not loving the shit out of it, because it really does feel like 
we've hit full action movie on Game of Thrones, and it's fun. But but, but I think know. I think at the, you know at the end of the next season, I'm gonna have to go back and watch this season and next season like five more times to get you know everything that they're delivering because it is just a it is a barrage of input that they're feeding everyone and it's great but it's um you you, you know like season one through three you could kind of let it soak in yeah and, and the pacing was you know very even and you know with stark moments of awfulness and stark drama moments of awfulness and drama but um <laughs> but now it's just like just strap yourselves in let the feeding tube go down and just get ready. <laughs> what parachute, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, uh, Chris actually went back and rewatched all of the seasons from the beginning leading up to this. And so he was he's very fresh on the references. I'm not as fresh, so I'm relying on the Internet to um, sort of backfill a lot of the references. And particularly when you get to this week's, there are so many callbacks to very mm-hmm. specific scenes. I mean, there were already in each episode some good callbacks, but this last one had so many. It's unreal. And that's what I think I'm really impressed by. They're going so fast. they got so much ground to cover. Um, and just doing the awesome big set pieces that they're doing could be enough. But they're also finding ways of tying it very cleverly back to things from earlier seasons in a way that's really a payback to the dedicated viewers who go back and piece it together. Mm-hmm. It's like everything we wanted Lost to do that sometimes they were making up. Here they're actually doing it the right way, I think. Right? Well, I think I think Benioff did a really good job of learning yes. <laughs> seeing, you know, these great right. hypes and things fall off the face of the planet. But I'm pretty sure in the writer's room, they, they, they have one whiteboard yep. which is just all the loose strings that they have to tie off yep. and and finalize between now and the final episode. Well, in writing all of my third rail design lab universe stuff that I do, I can tell you that you know, I have the big board with all the connections of everybody, everybody, and I have the the document that is all the unanswered things and all all the plot points that need to be tied together as I go, and that becomes a multi-page document, and pretty soon it just becomes, you know, it's entropy, right? So it's uh-huh. amazing. I, I think it's very clever that they don't have to tie up every loose end and every plot point, but by doing callbacks to other things and making it, you know, tying back to the cyclical concept... Um, it's satisfying and making you feel like it's a bigger plan and that it's artful without having mm-hmm. to really go and answer all those questions. It's very clever, I think. Yeah. Anyway, okay, all right. So narrow. Well, and, and and the other thing is that you know that's not in the, the in in the highlights is the the turning point for Arya deciding mm-hmm. to go back to Winterfell after she meets a what is it hot lunch? Hot um, lunch. <laughs> hot lunch. <laughs> Yes, and, and and that was another great scene, and 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 it set up the the moment in the episode four really well. But um, and I, I think we should go back and explore that that episode with Euron and that little tit for tat that he had with um, with Jamie about uh, how does she like it rougher, <laughs> soft? Absolutely. Uh, talking about Cersei. Uh, well, it, then, it's it's yeah. obviously quite public knowledge now that she's having an incestuous relationship with her brother, but it's also a, a something to me that their comp people are pretenders to her attention are confident in mocking to Jamie's face. And that is the dangerous point, right? When they're not, well, certainly they're they're People like Euron are, are misunderstanding that Cersei's the real threat, but also um, that they feel bold enough to 
challenge, well, Jamie. Yeah. Well, they think he's out. washed up. They think yeah. he's washed up. Oh yeah. So, yeah. uh, so when we're in the narrow sea, we have mm-hmm. a brief scene of Theon, uh, being dragged aboard an ironborn ship. And there's this great shot where, uh, they pull him over the deck. It was perfect. They pull him over uh-huh. the deck he says, Oh my God, you know, they got Yara. I tried to save her. And, and this guy who's a actor, I mean, this is sort of a cameo for him, but he says, you know, if you, if you had tried, you wouldn't be here. And then they walk away. Okay. Mm-hmm. Great. With now, the Kraken fully in yeah. the black leather yep. right there on his chest. Yep. But I think, um, so Theon's getting a bad rap. Not only gets a bad rap on the show. Wait, wait, but a wait, lot of... wait, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Don't, please don't tell me you're one of those that are sympathetic to, to that dude. Actually. Theon, Theon, Theon Reek deserves everything that he gets. And he just embodied like go- the golem like behavior. Yeah, sure. That you, right. No, and no, he may he have made... a redemption moment, but the no, dude, but he's come been, on. But actually he's been one of the most compelling characters on the show. His yes. choices, especially early on, his choices were some of the earliest. I mean, we had a lot of early holy shit moments that were small, like knocking Bran out of after what he saw and knocking him out of the thing and the surprise beheading of Ned and some of the other early, um, you know, machinations that that led to the the complexity of the story that we would later kind of take for granted. But his choices were interesting because they were cowardly. Um, They showed all of those, you know, you know, you know. Uh, you know, a child wanting to get daddy's approval and competing with siblings and wanting to show off and pretend he's better than he is and all that other general shit. But at the same time, he's making terrible decisions that had serious ramifications to the family, and you couldn't ex- you couldn't excuse them. It was a person making really bad decisions and then f- doubling down and tripling down on it because of their personal failings. Yes, but all I'm saying is, after his reek situation, the one thing I will say is. Everyone looks at him like, you know, he's a coward and these are critical, uh, you know, character failings in him. But I, but I, I fully believe I'm invested in the idea that he has so much PTSD that he can't even deal. And I think that his performance, I think yeah. uh, Alfie's performance are, is really effective. You see him twitch. You see that moment where his resolve collapses and he's back mm-hmm. in the cage. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I'm not saying he's a protagonist, but I'm saying I get the idea that this guy is bro- is so deeply psychologically broken. There was no way he was going to be able to do anything in that moment. That's why when he pushed Sansa off the thing and got helped her escape, that was such a triumphant moment because he broke mm-hmm. his programming just for that second. Yep. But this was but a totally then, different but situation. Then, but, but then as his programming came back and did a reboot and uh, run away. Yara just staring at him with that horrible realization that she was doomed and that he was not going to help and the tear on her cheek was just so brutal. That yep. whole, it, we talked about this in in the previous week, Chris and I, um, but the, the whole sequence at the end of the last, that last episode was so emotionally draining that, you know, I just didn't know what to do with myself afterwards <laughs> <laughs> with the sands and everybody else. But okay, so, all right. So we established that uh, the Ironborn, the remaining remnants of the Ironborn fleet have picked him up and he's not dead and whatever else and and so he has survived and he's going to get word obviously he's a mechanism to get word that whatever they're still alive but mm-hmm. but uh humiliated and despondent so then we have king's landing and here we have euron bringing parading uh the sands alaria tyene 
as well as his personal pet, Yara, which was interesting. It was only at the end of this episode that you see that she's his. She's not yeah. part of the offering, which I thought was creepy. Well, no, but, uh, but he's got, he's got a, probably really sick things planned for her. Oh, yes. Right. But um, this whole thing about bringing them back and this really sadistic thing about giving Cersei the, the mother and daughter to exact her revenge on who killed her own daughter was really cunning. But the way she did it and the mm-hmm. way they set the scene up and the way they filmed it was so brilliant with those great symmetrical shots of them chained staring at each other. Mm-hmm. Being a foot apart. And then, and then the gag. Don't forget the gag. Yes, the gag. And being a foot apart. Yep. And knowing, like you said earlier, she's poisoning you. She's poisoning her with their own poison. That they so used to kill doing to the daughter what, yep. Yep. what, what uh, Ilaria did to her, her daughter. And then, she, and then even worse, she's going to make her sit there and watch her, her, her slowly die and then decompose. And they're going to yep. keep her alive for as long as they possibly can. She's going to sit there with those bones for mm-hmm. years. Um, well, it's, so it's, 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 wicked. The process, the process to get the bones. Is right. Right. right, right. We must inflate before we deflate. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's absolutely terrible. Um, I was really struck by the fact that um, all of the sands were ultimately defeated by their own weapons. Yeah. Right. The sand snakes were all each individually killed by their own weapons. Uh, well, I guess except for the, this daughter, but the other sands were. And then now, Ilaria is, you know. Her third daughter is being killed by Alaria's own weapon. So I think I don't know. I thought that was really creepy. I still yeah. feel like they got such a raw deal. They they didn't they didn't develop the Dorn storyline the way the books did. Mm-hmm. And then for whatever reason, the weird, mysteriously poor choreography in the in the Dorn battle sequences made people not, you know, sort of laugh at the Sand Snakes in a way they didn't intend it. And so all of a sudden, it was the it was that dipshit couple from Lost that they had to kill off right away because everyone hated it. Oh, that was so bad. (laughs) But I feel bad for those characters. Like, I actually, you know, I mean, I understand that people didn't like them, but I liked them fine, and I wanted to see them get their... I wanted to see them be a powerful force in Daenerys' army, and I wanted to see them strike back in a way that was befitting of their reputation and... You know, well, anyway, there, there we go. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I, 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 you know, um, I recognize in the book they had a, they had a much bigger role, but given their role in the arcs, right? Yeah. I, I, I think they just wanted to zzz, yeah. get that one out as quickly as good, just like the High Garden story. Yeah. Well, but like, at the same time, they're right. one of the, I mean, we've seen a number of the other sort of smaller, um, uh, um, nobles in the or some of the smaller houses in in mainland Westeros get decimated and eliminated from from existence in the course of these last seasons. But Dorne was the first one that I can recall where we see a major house and a major not just a house, right? That's not a house actually. That's an that's a foreign kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. We see this completely completely destroyed. That was the first of a very rapid fire sequence of events to show you that. This this war is decimating the Western world, mm-hmm. and uh, and it only gets worse, right? <laughs> In an hour and a half, it gets really yeah. really bad. Yeah. But I mean, but here's the thing: you you saw Arya take out the entire House Frey, mm-hmm. and but there <laughs> there's nary a mention of it right. by any other character in in the series, and you think that. Cersei and Jamie would mention it. You'd think Jon Snow would have a reaction to it if they, if they had the ravens, right? I could have but sworn it, that they made a reference to the phrase having been mysteriously killed. 
but only but only once. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the fact that that didn't, I mean, and it was a slaughter, right? Yeah. I mean, like forty lords just yeah, right. killed. And well, that's weird. <laughs> you know. Um, whereas the Red Wedding and and, and the others, it gets it, shockwaves through multiple aspects of the dialogue and the conversation. But um, the slaughterhouse at House Frey, the, the abattoir Frey. Um, well, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they got what they deserved. It was poetic. Um, yeah. Another key point. So, the, so uh, okay. And so another thing here was that uh, Cersei is has now become so power mad that she's like, I don't care what anybody thinks because she has no one to prove to anymore. Right. She yeah. she doesn't care. She's already killed off half the nobility with her sept bombing, and so from her perspective, she can do what she she's full on despot, right? And uh-huh. the idea that she would answer the door with Jamie yeah. in the room, yeah. and you see his. I mean, Jamie has just been a revelation this season, right? With all of his double takes and like, what, what the, you know, like he's still he is still the character that seems to have the common sense head on his shoulders. Even at the end of this episode, he's very resigned to reality. But he and he's doing it anyway. But you could tell he's aware. Yeah, he's a very aware character, and that's what I love about his response to things over these last two episodes. Well, I, but, I also he, think they've, I also think they figured out that uh, Costa Waldo is just a great actor. Yeah, and they can they can put him into a lot of, and he's a great comedic actor too. Yeah, you can put him into a lot of goofy situations, and he will just pull it off, either as a straight man or, you know, as as the foil, and he. Is just brilliant in, in these scenes, right? It's just well, and he it's inti- really good to see him getting to, to really use his chops in, in a way. That, even in all the action-packed sequences, he's still a, just a really good good actor. Well, and they've paired Tyrion and him together since the beginning of the series. Their choices yeah. interwoven have been a central theme to a lot of what's happening. But but they're both Lannisters. They're both from the same fucked-up family. One's on the outside, one's on the inside, but they're both very aware of what's happening. Well, and and, and Jamie saved Tyrion. Yeah, right. Right? Oh, absolutely. But I mean, right. they're they're both very aware of the reality of the horror of what's happening in a way that the rest of the um, sort of the characters that are around them are so uh-huh. myopic that they're just driven by certain things. And these two are going like, well, you know, well, I don't know. They're, more are, but I mean, as far as the Lannisters go, they are. Um and so I had a theory at the time of this episode, right, that immediately was squashed by the next one. But the messenger that came that she answered the door and talked to her or whatever, um, who very, very clever detail. She now has a pixie cut. They're showing that the queen's fashion and the imagery of the crown is now bleeding into the people, which I thought was very cool. She mm-hmm. she has been seen in previous episodes and she looked different. So here now she's been like, you know, she's got the hair and everything. I was convinced. Well, she's, looking, she's looking like Joffrey. Yeah, in the well, haircut. Well, uh, I, I was convinced after this episode that that was that there was a MacGuffin that Arya didn't turn around. She went to King's Landing, and that was her with a fa- with a face, right? That she had taken mm. the place of that messenger, and that's how she was going to get in and get Cersei, right? So nope. debunked. But that was yep. what I was working with at the time. Yep. Um, and then finally, in in Great King's Landing, we saw the return to the extremely boring Tycho Nestoris Iron Bank storyline, but is important from the. It's sort of like the Federation, the the trade agreements bullshit in Star Wars, right? It's mm-hmm. important to the story, extremely boring, but um, the key point in the scene was, oh, we'll have you money back in a fortnight, and at the time, it just seemed like you know. Just, yeah, and everybody knows what a fortnight is, right? It's not it's not two months. You're right, right. <laughs> but it just seems sort of like one of those things that they just say. 
And then, of course, by the end of the episode, you realize, oh, there was a plan. There yeah. is a stash of money, and we are going to heist it. <laughs> and it's, it's at a place called High Garden. That's right. So before we leave King's Landing, I have to tell you the problem I have with Euron. I love that they did a makeover, and he's the rock, this young rock god, and he's thinner and short-haired and has the leather and the eye makeup and all this stuff, and it's fun. He's a very fun villain right now. I get that. But he feels like such an anti-Mary Sue, right? He has infinite power. He's in all places at once. He's extremely charismatic. He can, he's, he's at the right place at the right time, and he thwarts the, the protagonist at every turn. And I know he's going to have a fall, but, but it takes me, it, divorce, it divorces me from the scene a little bit because I feel like he's so fabricated in his yeah. sudden accelerated rise to omnipotence and power. Um, undeserved, I guess, even though I understand well, but, his reputation. But, 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 but I don't know, is it undeserved? Because he, so in the books, right? I mean, the, when he ascends the power, it's a lot more of the same overtones of the, the red god. And there's a, there's a lot more of um, a kind of an eldritch mystical thing mm-hmm. to it, right? That the, the god of the sea picks right. him, oh, right? Yeah, and yeah. has to go through the, 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 the foam Right. Torture, whatever, and so I, I hear you. I, I think he's more of a caricature than anything else, and we and maybe that's because we don't know. We haven't had a big, rich backstory with him. He's just kind of thrust on the scene in a spotlight to fulfill this. Um, you know, in, in the old movies, he'd be the guy with the mustache twiddling oh, sure. it on the edges, right? That's me uh, now, actually. Yeah, yeah. I was, well, you're doing the beard thing, so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, he's fun. He's but super it's, fun. it's very shallow. It's just kind of this uh, this flash in the pan that makes a big impact for a short while, and, and we'll just see if it if it's short lived or not. But he's doing a good job of yes. being a fun villain that you are enjoying, and then you want you enjoy hating him, mm-hmm. you enjoy watching his flamboyance, and then you want to see him be destroyed, yeah. uh, which is a completely different animal to something like Cersei, which is a cold burn, cold right. slow burn, right? So he's super fun in that regard. <laughs> Um, Wait, I just—it's it, kind of like if Jack Sparrow yeah. landed in Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, he's an anti, but he's an anti-Jack Sparrow, right? Right. But here's the thing. Okay, I accept all that. However, in the previous season, when they double-cross him and split, why they didn't kill him, ambush him and kill him or something? Because if he's so all-powerful and such a badass in the sea. And if he has the ability to craft another thousand ships in, in a fortnight, <laughs> mm-hmm. the fact that the Greyjoys split, that Yara and Dion split and just left him to fume on the rocks um, was a. Re- I mean, you, it was obviously from the story. It was a very bad um, sign. It was it was foretelling. You know, it was a bad decision that was going to come back and bite them. But if he is as as uh, infamously powerful as as we're led to believe, it's amazing that they just ran off. It's like in the movies when the guys do a heist on the major mo- crazy sadistic mob boss and they're like, "Welp, <laughs> yeah, you know, we got away. Everything will be fine. What's he gonna mm-hmm. do?" <laughs> so you know, I don't know, but that's fine. That's fine. But yeah, that happened last season. This season, well, and, he's and a rock the other important guy. thing, other important thing here is that um, Cersei commits to marrying him at the end of the war. She, she implies it. No, no, you will get what you want. Yes, you'll get what you want. Uh, and uh, yeah, certainly, I mean that was a, that was a stunner as well. Yeah, certainly Jamie was certainly Jamie wasn't pleased to hear it, but at the same time, you know, she had already mentioned before when his fleet first arrived that she was going to make alliances 
um, mm-hmm. as necessary and that that was an obvious that was the obvious direction that it was assumed it was going to go I don't think that that was a surprise I think the surprise would be Jamie or anyone believing that she would go through with it or allow it to continue given her reputation <laughs> for suffering well, marry him and then kill him yeah right marry and kill right yeah so I don't think that Jamie would be should be threatened by him in that regard um, but at the same time, I don't think Jamie was expecting him to be flaunting it right in front of him, right on the steps with the mountain right there. Right. Remember that? He steps forward in his grandiose sort of statement that he's making, and then the mountain steps, the mountain steps, steps up. He's step like, up. yeah, I'll step back in. <laughs> <laughs> so Cer- Cersei is very clearly being modeled after the Mad King. So we're led to to suspect that Daenerys is going that direction, but if you look at how Cersei is drawn, she's she is the legacy of the Mad King in this in this version of the cycle, right? Mm-hmm. She gets turned on by murder. She's wildfire on her people. She tortured. She t- brutally tortured her well, on the set. foes on the set. in the way. Yeah, but Not she tortures. Whole. She tortures yeah. the sand. The, the 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 sand snakes in, um, and and Alaria sand in the same way that the Mad King tortured the Starks. Mm-hmm. And um, and so the obvious extension of that parallel, and this is something that one of our listeners, Sean, had brought up on uh, Facebook, was you know there's the prophecy that that um, the Kingslayer kings the Mad King and will do so again, right? So there's and and I and I really latched onto that idea. I think that it would be a wonderful narrative um, cycle that's that Jamie would have to turn on his sister and then take her out. And we'll see if that happens. <laughs> but I like the concept of it. But she's definitely going the way of the all the things that the Mad King was doing that led to Jamie backstabbing him, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's very I mean, it's obvious that they're doing that, but I think it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch her losing her grip and being yeah. so almost hedonistic in her brutality. So I think I think she's just finally Free to be me. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I'm gonna keep my hair short. Hate is gonna hate. Yeah. <laughs> you think that she would chop up that main that main road that leads up to the the Red Keep? You know, you think that she'd like chop it up and make it a fire river or something like that after she had to walk it naked and get stoned the whole way. Anyway, so well, she, she she took care of the source term. That's true. You know, she, she, you know the, there's nothing to walk down from. Do you realize that it was only a few seasons ago that we were like, holy shit, they reanimated the, the mountain and he's now her bodyguard. This is amazing. This, this is the new greatest thing that's ever happened on Game of Thrones. And now it's like he's in the corner. <laughs> I still want to see him used. I want to see the, the big battle where he's taken out. But anyway. That one, I, and I want to know who it's going to be against. Is it going to be against his brother? Yeah. Or yep. is it going to be, I mean, who is it going to be? Because it's going to be some mono a mono fight right it's going to be that you're not going to wipe him out with a with a you know a fire bomb or dragon fire or anything like that it's got to be some just amazing kick-ass fighting my hope my fantasy is that it's an aria move on cersei and she has to get through the mountain and she gets slapped around by him in a brutal way and realizes he's not he's not falling to her her strikes so then she goes to to incapacitate by slashing ankles and that sort of thing that he she defeats him by cleverness and by being small because i'll I'll, I'll see you i'll see you one more up on that i think it's going to be let's say 
Sandor comes back. He's with the King of Light now, and like they're in a pitch battle. And let's say it's Arya versus the Mountain. Um, and I'd say Sandor actually has a here's my pick. He'd actually have a moment of redemption where he sacrifices himself, mm. takes takes one from uh, yeah. the Mountain. His sword gets buried in him, and then while he can't pull it out, Arya comes in and slits his throat. That's or decapitates I, him. That'll work for me. I mean, you're referencing the the famous fan uh, fantasy of uh, Clegane Bowl, right? Yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> so, uh, okay, so Winterfell was the next one. Um, so this was the. Oh yeah. Um, oh, by the way, Bran arrived. <laughs> well, wait. So yeah. So this was this was Winterfell, right? So. Yep. So John's gone. Sansa's in charge, and surprising everyone, she's actually being competent about it. Put the leather on the metal, and blah blah blah. And then all of a sudden, here it comes. And then here's Littlefinger doing his fight every battle, know everything at every time, never be surprised if you yeah. visualized every outcome. And then here comes the guy that may or may not see and hear, have access to every piece of information ever. Yeah. Um, but how, and every scenario ever. How great was the reuniting of Bran and Sansa? The obviously her the emotional thing where she sees another living Stark and runs and hugs him, but then also he's under the tree and she goes to talk to him. And in that weird, he's now post post Bran, you know, whatever. In the most recent episode, they he really doubles down on it and says that he's yeah, the Bran, the, anymore, but, the three eyed yeah, raven, yep. yeah, the three eyed raven, and. I love that he's just so very calmly. He's so like my father, you know, had Asperger's um, and it definitely um, skewed this direction where he had no contextual awareness of how he was affecting other people's emotions and how what he was saying was being taken and whether it was appropriate. Well, this is by a magnitude of a thousand, right? Like his thing, he was just plucking this. Like I, I get the sense that Bran the human is so overloaded with input that the humanity's gone and he's just sort of processing files at this point. And they have yeah. to say, ah, you know, when you were here last year, it was your beautiful wedding day. And she's just completely shaken by that because a, he's, he's seeing it, but he's also implying unintentionally deep cut to the fact that she was brutally raped on her wedding night. And she, in theory, hasn't told anybody about what she went through. Mm -hmm. So that whole sequence, I mean, I give Sophie Turner some slack some time that she's, you know, she's okay. But yeah. that, she did a really good job in that scene. You see her kind of, kind of, her confidence fall apart and her get really skewed out in a hurry when she's talking to Bran. Well, and, and, and then, like, is he actually, you know, not my brother anymore? Right. He's but, something else. But she, but so, okay, so he's giving her a piece of information he shouldn't know and it freaks her out. But she doesn't yet have any of the contextual awareness that we have to see that he's become a thing. She's just weirded out. She doesn't uh -huh. see him as a good thing or a bad thing. Just as I need to get the hell away from him in a hurry. Right. But I love after this and into the next episode, when Arya comes back, I love this running theme, this meme on the net where everyone's referring to, she's the, you know, I've seen ones that say like, she's the only Stark that didn't level up. And then uh -huh. also like, she's become the new Rickon or whatever his name is. <laughs> The one Stark that had no redeeming, you know, sort of because every every other Stark has a superpower now except for her. But well, anyway, but but she's just a really effective manager. Yeah, yeah, seems like so far. Yeah. Um. Uh. So here's the thing. So my favorite character on Game of Thrones is is Baelish, Littlefinger, right? But and and I really love to watch him connive, and I love his delivery. Um. I love the actor. 
straight down to his role in Dark Knight Rises. Everything about him I love. However, he's doing such a good job at being a shit. And the and the natural conclusion or the natural sort of flow of where his character is going is working because when he appears in the scene and he just sort of stage left and it's like, so let me tell you one of my bullshit, you know, art of war speeches. I had an involuntary eye roll. (laughs) I thought (laughs) that spells doom for Littlefinger when his biggest supporter gives an eye roll. (laughs) That's me. I'm that guy. I love him. I, I, yeah, I, again, I, well, I, I think we'll need to see where his uh, fate ultimately lies. But again, I think he's a victim of compression. Right? Well, I, I, I mean, I think, excuse me, I'm getting a supplemental uh, beverage. So I actually think that there's a lot of Baelish to come. I think he's definitely going to meet a satisfying and interesting end. But I don't think he's done fucking things up. Oh, no. Uh, in the basis of what we've seen in the most recent episode. And I'm really really invested. I really want to see him try to throw that last spanner in the works. And I want to see how much his, you know, his final attempts to uh, seed chaos and then climate work or don't work and what damage he does on the way out. So I think it's going to be really interesting, but we've got to get to that in the next episode, but man, oh man, I loved it. Loved it. I just want it to be the little finger show. <laughs> right. Anyway, all right. So I'm alone in my love for Littlefinger. Apparently, yeah. I, I mean, I like it. I like it because he's got this. Um, he's just the ultimate slime ball. Right? Oh yes, but he's a um, clever one. Yes, and everything that you think he can do, um, he can do better. In terms of sliminess, yeah. But and he's I think, uh, he's not being played that. He's not being played as like. The the mustache twirling villain, and he's not being played as the, no, no, no. the sleazy manipulator. He's very charismatic. So? Well, I think he's being very charismatic and believable in his in the no, way that think, he's been whispering. Right. So I think every I think he thinks he's a smooth operator. I don't think Sansa thinks he's a smooth operator. I agree. I don't think Jon Snow thinks he's a smooth operator. Well, I think they not. think he's a slime ball. Right? But, and, but I think until now, this is the. But I'm saying last episode, this episode, and then and then the most current one, are the beginning of the House of Cards collapsing for him. Uh-huh. Up until this, I mean, given the backstory of how much he's directly responsible for everything we're seeing, uh-huh. the entire war is his fault. His well, his, and Arya. <laughs> well, well, yeah. But my point though is, he has been manipulating all sides and maneuvering and. And still ha- has been welcome. He's still been on the right hand of someone or other this whole way. And only now has it reached a point where the people that he's with, he's there because they want his army. But they're on to his bullshit and they're just keeping their enemy close. Yeah. And that's why I think it's going to be interesting to see how he la- what final moves he makes before he's completely destroyed. But anyway, okay, so Old Town, we have a brief uh, scene in Old Town where we have another one of these time compressions where it seems like overnight um, uh, Jorah has healed from a, bo- a self or a voluntary flailing. No, like, um, like a, de- a delaminating. A delaminating. <laughs> but again, you know, this is presumably, presumably the next night when he was supposed to leave, there was evidence that he had been worked on. And so then they let him wait to heal. And now they've tested him and there, there has... There's implied that time has passed 
but the way that the show is structured, it seems like it's the next day, and they're like, whoop. No, it, 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 it had to be weeks, if not a month, right? I mean, honestly. And again, another one of my problems in this show is, in, and I'm such a nerd, I know, but we expect no less, but uh, I just want internally consistent rules, right? And so this is a show where people die from cuts. It's been uh-huh. documented that they die from cuts for obvious reasons, and now we have Arya, who's been repeatedly stomach-punched and then rolled around in the river for a while. And then, yeah, she took an ointment, but, you know, for fuck's sake. Suddenly she's back at it. And now we have... Oh, wait. Wait, Jon Snow took, you know, 27 stab wounds. Yeah, he but with he's the got a supernatural and then response. The next day, and then the next day he was walking around with, you know, open wounds that were still, you know, oozing. So you got to have a... I mean, you well, gotta, but, he, but he had a supernatural on. response. Well, but the ointment could be a supernatural thing, right? Yeah. And you forget... Right, that um, they had a special magic sauce in the recipe book for yes. you know how to yes. how to turn a rock lobster back into a human. Yes. Um, yes. So you know, if you, if you're going to give him a pass on Jon Snow, you got to give him a pass on some other thing. Uh, last week I was <laughs> barbecuing and I made I posted to Instagram a photo of my barbecue and I said barbecuing before a Game of Thrones is uncomfortable because you can't help but think of Shireen, and it was a big old tum- oh. a big old tumbleweed, right? Um, crickets. But I didn't see that. If I had seen that, I would have. Resp- I would have put something witty on. Sad face. But so here's the thing, though. The worst part was taking tri tip and you know carving the fat layer off the tri tip, and suddenly realizing <laughs> that you're 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 sandwelling that tri tip right. And so forever, yep. I'm going to sandwell that tri tip right. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. But how cool it was it that he got a sort of a promotion. From shit duty to parchment rewriting (laughs) with paper bites, you know, oh, you wanted a reward. Well, I'm going to give you slightly less shit. Yeah, it's uh, better than cleaning out bedpans. Yes, right. Yes, yes. Although that last episode was absolutely poetic in the staccato of bedpan, you know, yeah, yeah, all that stuff was great. And then, of course, my favorite moment, my red tentacle for last week's uh, episode was the the smooth transition between... um, completely gory <laughs> pus popping uh um grayscale surgery transitioning into turkey pot pie which was yep. astounding hot pie. Hot pie. so astounding okay so also you get the feeling or i do that uh ebros is enabling samwell Without just opening the doors and saying, all of our resources are yours. He seems to be consistently giving him opportunities to do what he Uh needs to do without openly embracing it. And I don't know exactly why, but I feel like that's what's happening. So if that's true, I'm wondering if there's significance to the scrolls he's documenting. Oh, probably most likely. And it's just probably chronicling the last time the Night King came down. Yeah, right. Right. And just like the Dragon Glass, which is probably going to be... You know the thing that saves their bacon in the north. Well, how about uh, the uh, how about the previous episode or whatever when he had the long the long scan on the knife, the yeah. the famous dagger right in the book. Yeah. Well, anyway, so it's interesting. I I'm not convinced that uh, I'm not convinced that Abrams is uh, is as much an an unbelieving obfuscator as he was originally presented to be. He even admits here that he believes that Sam believes what he's telling him. Yep. But well, he does have that thing where, well, we've always had, the, we, you know, we've never had the problems. We'll probably be fine. 
Right. But here's the key to the. <laughs> yeah, here's the key to the secret vault. Yeah. And just in case, you know, I'm going to make you in charge of the sacred Dead Sea Scrolls. Yeah. yeah. The incantation to split the Night King in half. Yes, yes. So, okay, so then Castle Rock, we have the brilliant sequence of. Yeah. The Unsullied attacking Castle Rock through the sewers with Tyrion doing the narration of his plan while we watch the plan happen, which is classic heist noir technique, right? It could have been mm-hmm. De Palma, right? Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like. It was awesome. And then there was some really great cinematography, right? The top-down view of them flooding into the gates once the once they broke in and opened the gates. And all of these sequences of them over, overwhelming this force in such a way that you can't tell how few guards there really are. Mm-hmm. And then that fantastic final shot of Grey Worm taking his helmet off, looking around, and then turning and looking out over the bay and watching magically magically appearing silence and and this other amount of whatever, the ships are suddenly there now blasting the shit out of the unsullied ships. What a great sequence, right? It was was fantastic. It doesn't make sense, but it was fun to see. Well, it was was that whole... um... The, the mark and the and the double play right right, right. It, it was like one of those um I don't know you want to say like uh what is it the 11 12 13 oceans 11 mm-hmm. right that great syncopation of all these different scenes coming together on the make and the countertake and all these oh, other yeah. things and then and then you just end up fucked <laughs> well and there's a there's a running uh, it is silence you're on ship is called silence silence I just checked it up yeah what have I been saying silent silence it's silence. silence. So there's been a running thing on the web that people are rationalizing Cersei knowing the things that she knows, such as Daenerys is close. She's got the Dothraki. She's got the Unsullied. She's made landfall of Dragonstone. That she knows all these things because her hand now has Varys's little bird legion. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. she has her own raven system of humans that travel thousands of miles overnight and get her all this information. But, you know, this is another one of those things where it's like, how did they predict that she would, that, that these forces would go to Castle Rock? Like, yeah. everything about this felt very constructed for the story. And I didn't mind it because it was thrilling, but it doesn't hold up. In, in, when you think about it later, you're like, wait a minute, you know, it's. Well, yeah, I, I guess maybe they just know Tyrion really well. Right? Yeah, but if. But it, but if Tyrion challenge if Tyrion challenging Castle Rock is a foregone conclusion because it's the home base of the Lannisters, it implies that there's something to protect. And what we see here is, oh, it's empty land. That there's no more. They've drained the coffers. There's nothing left. They don't need it anymore. No, no. I, I think they they drained it in anticipation that it was going to be attacked. Right. But my point is, my point is that really suggests that they know Tyrion and they respect his strategic mind enough to think he would go there. And they have not suggested at all leading up to this point that Cersei believes that Tyrion has any value. Mm-hmm. Certainly that he has any value as the hand to Daenerys. I mean, he did achieve great things in the Blackwater battle, but they completely always undermined him and suggested that he was an idiot whenever they reference him. Cersei. And Cersei and Jamie together 
Jamie alone being having a different opinion, but you know what I'm saying. So it was just a construct of the way that the 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 story had to go. It was thrilling, but you know, it's a, it's a it's like a back it's like an underhanded compliment to Tyrion that they take him seriously enough to predict what he's going to do and then respond to it. Yeah, yeah, but but I think I think it was part of this long ranging conversation that we saw the beginning of between. Jamie and Cersei, when they said, okay, where are they going to land? Yes, yes, yes. And they said, it's going to be Dragonstone. And then there could have been, and what are they going to do next? And yeah. then they're going to go after Castle the Rock, and they're going to send the fleet up. Uh, uh, but why is they, that? They, but why was that the conclusion that was reached? The logical conclusion was, go right at the Red Keep. Because Jamie knows Tyrion. That's what I'm saying. He, they, and, the, and they know that Daenerys is leaning on Tyrion and they and she's not going to pull a mad queen. She's not going to send the dragons up to burn King's Landing down to the ground uh, and kill everybody in it. So I think it says that they the they can that they're really good at predicting what Tyrion is going to do. Well, there's definitely overtones. Theory. The the whole um, fighting an invasion force thing has had interesting contemporary overtones. In that you have an invading force that has super weapons that are afraid to use the super weapons because of the ramifications culturally on them doing so. So as a result, they get undermined in the, the minutia of the actual well, they, ground battle. Yeah. And I think that's interesting because they know they're not going to use them until, right. 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 Until, until it happens. Okay. All right. And so finally, at the end of the episode, we have the high garden scene, which follows from the Castle rock scene. And we see that Tarly has joined Lannister and betrayed house Tyrell. And you mm-hmm. see that they've taken High Garden, and they've implied before that High Garden really didn't have much of a fighting force. Right. They don't explain how that is, because so that's just, why they still have money. They don't. They didn't spend it on an army. Yeah, but but at the same time, <laughs> why they weren't attacked by someone else? I mean, there's been many years of conflict and and uh, and unrest between the brief period of relative calm with Baratheon and now and yet they've managed to have not been invaded by someone else wanting their gold but anyway well, but you gotta remember that they, that they tried to marry into the Lannister family so that's they're right. getting protection because of that yeah that's right that's right but you also get the sense that they were just sort of too big to fail right they were a mm-hmm. long standing power money house I, again I haven't read the book so I don't understand as much they, they, that they, were, they were an apple ready for the plucking yes yes and it's into, and what I love about Olena Tyrell and of course this this performance is one of the best in the series right but what mm-hmm. I love about it is she is unfazed by any of this she's seen the cycle come and go so many times like she said in the last one she has outlived many clever men be a dragon and all that stuff but even uh-huh. in these final scenes this wonderful sequence with her and Jamie She's very resigned to it. And well, I think it's amazing yeah. to watch. Yeah, it is. It's great. I mean, especially when you think about <clears throat> it, it follows. It's at the same time and sequence in this episode that Theon's implosion was in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Right. He, he crumbles in fear and he just, you know, shits himself and hurls himself overboard. And then here's Elena who's like, will there be pain? <laughs> yeah. Will it be quick and will yeah. it hurt? Should I get up? I don't think I'm going to get up. <laughs> And so, of course, this was the the best shade, as it's it's well talked about by now, but it's the best shade in Game of Thrones history. This whole, you know, take the poison and smile and say, oh, by the way, you you know, you set, granted these balls were set, or these, uh, you know, this was set in motion long before this, but, you know, 
few Lannisters took action based on the belief that Tyrion and Sansa Stark killed mm-hmm. um, Joffrey. But by the way, it was me the whole time. And, uh, you know, I wanted you to know as I'm as I'm going out, which was so exactly. wonderfully fatalistic. I loved it. And watching his face, right, as he registered it. First, he admits that he knows he's he's fucked, right? Mm-hmm. With, and, that Cersei is the, and Cersei is the, the devil in flesh. Yes. That he's... Yeah, he's like, yes, I'm on the bad team. <laughs> yeah, she's going to ruin you, and, and you really do love her, and yeah. yeah, you're a fool and an idiot. Well, and what I loved about that scene, because it rolls right through it, but what I loved about it was Elena spit directly to him, your son. I killed your son. I want, yeah. I want Cersei to know. It just, it was the second time in one episode, but it was, or the third time in one episode, but ultimately it was she went straight to it and said to him, mm-hmm. you know, that like the, the ruse was. Well, I mean, she, knew, she knew her game was up. So yeah. why not go out? No, with but, a parting shot? But, I, but I mean, the, 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 he's hearing from someone that once again, his secret sordid relationship to the throne and to his sister, which they've done such terrible things to try to keep hidden. Everybody knew about, everybody knew about the whole time. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Just like Princess Diana. Just what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure about that part. <laughs> Everybody knew. Everybody knew. Everybody knew. She's and like funny. Charles and uh, what's her name? Um, Camilla. Squiggly face. Camilla. Um, yeah. Everybody knew about them, right? Everybody knows the secrets that no one wants to talk about. So at the end of that last episode, I was thinking about the means by which Jamie could land on the Iron Throne. He's a, he's not gonna, not gonna happen. Yeah, well, but I was thinking about it. He's a sympathetic character. He Mm -hmm. has grown a moral compass, but he has a lot of experience. He has a reputation as a Kingslayer. And I was thinking either he waits it out or just survives a -hmm. sequence of events where Cersei and everybody else is killed. And suddenly he's there and he's like, okay, sit down. I'm there. Or he reaches peak uh, frustration with what's happening and finally can't take it anymore and kills her. Now that said, the sequence and the, the things that happen in the next episode make make me wonder, is it going that direction or not? I don't think he's ever going to be on the throne, but it's interesting that until this point, though, I hadn't really considered that he had an opportunity to be there. But mm-hmm. we've gotten to a point where you're like, wait a minute, there's no more heirs. They don't even have a legitimate claim to the throne in the first place, but there's no one even remotely around in King's Landing that could claim the throne other than him. If just Cersei a well-placed knife died. away from, uh, just a heartbeat away from the throne. That's at right. At this point. Quite literally, yeah. So that was episode three. And then we roll right into episode four, which makes... Oh, wait, wait. Do we want to have any parting shots or summaries about it? All right, so parting shot. Go ahead. I thought it was a great setup piece yes. and with a lot of closure in it. And I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yes. There was a lot about, a lot about machinations and... Um, you know, a lot of yep. things behind the curtains that are kind of glossed over. Yep. But um, again, uh, a fantastic episode. Gosh, but what, I mean, it was a prep ep, but it was yeah. so good. It was so like on the edge of your seat, thrilling. And then, you know, this week's episode was so much more like now it's over the top level that it almost makes this a distant memory. But I remember sitting, like I said, at the end of this episode, after the High Garden scene, I was just sitting in the dark for a while thinking about it. Mm-hmm. It's like what just happened. That was amazing. Well, especially when they end on that note. 
Yeah. With just that little that little parting shot from the grave. Yeah. Uh, that basically just turns your whole world upside down. Oh my gosh! Because for these characters are not particularly introspective. Right. Yet she's been a character who has 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 a recurring thing of making reference to the past and making reference to the things that she's learned and her, what she's experienced over time. So here she has just, you know, that's a deep cut on Jamie, who's now immediately walking away thinking all the things we've done and all mm-hmm. the, just this hot mess that we've made of this kingdom. And it was completely a lie, a lie. Yep. And it has to do with Cersei and me and what we've done. What we've done has led to the instability of this kingdom, right? The choices we made. Yep. And Cersei could give two shits about her choices, and Jamie can. And I yep. think that that's interesting. Yep. He's a very sympathetic character to me. He's evil, or he has made very, very, very evil decisions in the past. Ah. But I, he's, I, a, he's a true antihero. He's interesting. He's a chaotic in his, neutral. Yes. He's a chaotic neutral. He I totally say he's is. evil. Yeah. But he's, yes, he's evolved, right? Yeah. But it's interesting to think that we're... You know, through all the time that he was with Brienne, and now he's sympathetic. At a, where at the same time, this is the guy that pushed Bran out the window, yeah, helped with the beheading. You know, has done yeah. all these different things. And you know, you know how it's going to end for him, right? There's my, I, I got it. It's going to be him and Brienne. I think it'll be uh, amazing at the end. I think it'll be yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well. So that's a good that's a good segue to Spoils of War. Yeah. <laughs> so Spoils of War starts and we dive right in and almost immediately we've forgotten the last episode because it just the train took off and didn't stop. Right. So <laughs> this is a Blitzkrieg. Episode. It was. So it starts again with King Landing and another boring sequence with the uh, the world the, the 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 bank the Iron Bank, but. You know, it was interesting. Something I heard on another podcast, they made a reference to the fact that it seems internally consistent in the narrative that the Iron, all of her references to the fact that the Iron Bank has seen a slowdown economically after all the slaves were released. Mm-hmm. When the whole concept of the Iron Bank and the free people is that they don't support slavery. But I think that it's true what some others have said, which is that they may not officially support it, but they indirectly have still made profit on it. Yep. That the economy of those community of those those uh, towns have still been radically restructured in the way that any rebellion does, and so the in- the infrastructure that was there is gone. So they've mm-hmm. lost all their revenue, even without, without it being necessarily a blatant, um, you know, f- f- uh, funding of slavery. But this uh, is like the, the slave trade has had a slight downturn. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. There was a little. I guess the only thing of note in this sequence is Iron Banks really schmoozing her and like, well, you know, everything's great. Thanks. As soon as I get that money, everything will be great. As soon as I get the money, and then he, and then he's like saying, "Hey, so you must have. You need more armies. You need more shit." And she admits it. And he's like, "So you want to take another loan out? You know, uh, it's like yeah, you pay your Provided credit card. The first one gets paid off. Yeah, it's like you pay you pay a good sized credit card, and all of a sudden they're like, your rate's been increased to you know." A hundred grand. Yeah, like, we've increased your limit. We've yeah, increased, increased your limit. Your limit. Already paid it off. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but I think that this the key the key point in this was indeed that um, she makes reference to the fact that the Golden Company was was uh, was contacted. So mm-hmm. that I I assume has a, has been something that in the books they've talked about before. It's the first time we've heard about them in the story here. 
Right. Yeah. So there was some implication that that was going to come back and, and, and be something interesting. So what do you think? I, you know, it'll be interesting to see if it, how big of a role it becomes. I think it's going to lead to a, a transition or challenge for the Lannisters at some point down the line. Um, especially if, uh, what happens to the, the loot train later on in this episode happens to some of the wealth as it gets transferred to the iron bank. Yes. And, uh, Yes. Right. Like, let's say the the money goes to the Iron Bank via ships, and then yes. that's how Huron and everybody meets their fate yes. is uh, by being burned alive before they sink to the bottom of the sea. Um, well, so it, I, it's I, a good I, point, I think, though. Think, yeah. Well, it's a good point that you make, though, about the fact that it's following the money, and I think it's very interesting. It's boring, but I think it's interesting that they keep referencing the banking system and how they're funding multi they've said earlier they were funding multiple fronts at the same time and hedging their bets and now here was this huge amount and he was surprised that it was paid and mm-hmm. all this other stuff i two themes this season that i've really enjoyed from a world world builder brain is that the lannister uh uh um dynasty is being increasingly dependent upon the threat of doing anything other than doing what we say, but not treating the people well. They've been right. bombed. They bombed the sept. They kill a lot of of their own people, and we've seen now multiple references to the fact that they have a conscript army. And now in this episode, we've seen the forced, uh, you know, the stealing of the grain and all that other yeah. stuff. It, it, and now we're seeing the 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 a lot of talk about large amounts of money that are moving around as a reminder that. If the crown can't pay their soldiers, it's, it's a huge problem, right? But but it, but in, in stark contrast to Snow and Daenerys, right? Where they've made they a, follow, a huge they point. Them. They follow right. both of them because they want to. Yeah, and, and that was a huge parallel that they've talked about repeatedly. Is and they they make those constant references to the fact that they were each of them have people that chose to follow them, right? Right, right. Yeah, but no, they also I get sweet outfits them. too. Right. They get the sweet but, like the leather and all the. Yeah. yeah. But, but I, I do think so. Correct me if I'm wrong. But it doesn't the iron? It doesn't the wall as always. It doesn't the iron bank employ the 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 nameless from the faceless god as their enforcers? I don't know, but I would think they would. Yeah, that's pretty sure they do. And I would wager that if things go south with the finance arm, mm-hmm. uh, that the Lannisters may be suddenly faced with a whole host of issues of imminent mortal peril. <laughs> So yes, uh, the, uh, I, you know, there's a reason why they keep going back to follow the money. Yes, and uh, and it, it may also lead to a, a tie-in down the line with Arya that is uh, unexpected but very fulfilling and gratifying. So it's interesting I, that I don't, I, think, I don't think we've seen the last of them. It's interesting that um, a show that has at one time or at the best of times has been very. Um, invested in showing the realities of the limitations of a medieval world in terms of travel and in terms of infrastructure, then suddenly because of the time compression problem, suddenly everyone can get anywhere at once and everyone knows what's going on and it's whatever. But then they still do these when they're, when they're firing on all cylinders, we go back to the natural world for them being a character. In other words, the long gate getting up to Dragonstone, how you're funneled mm-hmm. up this one coin. You could see how easily that is defended. Or in this case, at the end of this episode, the loot road, right? You see them, you got all the troops marching and then you got the wagon train and there's all the, you know, it's all the principle of principle of supply, right? 
how do you how do you fortify along a single strip of road, mm-hmm. point A to point B, just like the map that I still insist should be practical effects. If mm-hmm. Chris were here, he would roll his eyes. But anyway, so oh, the, the, I like the, the, the when supply we see, lines matter. Every yeah. war, every war gets dictated by supply lines. I I period. know, and so that's why when we see things like that, I lo- so those details in this episode were prominent, and I really enjoyed them. At the same time that armies are moving miraculously a thousand miles, but then they are stuck on a single road in a single line. I mean, a fortnight so, to go off and yes. conquer a garden and get all the money back. Yes. I mean, yeah, that's my only issue. I mean, it, now it's, she it's says, really good. Yeah. At the beginning of this episode, she's saying, when the, mo- the money's on its way, Jamie's escorting it, blah, yeah. blah, blah. I will and, pay you back in a fortnight. Yes. And we've seen at the end of this episode that they've indicated that the, that the gold made it through the gates. So what the, the at the end of the episode we're decimating the the Lannister the army, army yeah. not yeah. the gold. That no, said, but, but, like but, you but, said, now the yeah. gold has to get to the Iron Bank, and that's where it's yeah. gonna be interesting. Yeah. Alright, so then we moved to Winterfell and we had some of the best Game of Thrones anything in my mind, mm-hmm. which is Bran sitting there and Littlefinger, my man <laughs> sidling up to yeah. him. Your here's cheese whiz king. Here's this crazy, here's the crazy knife that someone tried to kill you with. And, you know, my 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 hot obsession <laughs> saved you and all this other stuff. And then he just looks right at him and says, chaos is a ladder. And you see, you see Baelish just sort of do this like twitch. It's like, I love, it's just like with Jamie. Yeah. I yeah. love when the facade starts to sh- break and it's subtle but their actors are conveying it with their eyes, you know, mm-hmm. like you see him do the twitch, twitch, which I've watched that scene several times. Like his little, like, uh, wait, what? Yeah. And, and then, in, yeah. And then I'm not brand. And I'm not brand. <laughs> right. Well, and also, did you notice that Littlefinger always calls him Brandon, which yeah. is a reference to his brother, to Ned's brother. So, so, okay. So and then his mom always call him Brandon as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, so there was an article on BuzzFeed that did a lot of really great legwork on par- on building up the parallels between things that are happening in this episode and the nods that are, are callbacks to old episodes. And a lot of them I've forgotten. And it was really interesting to read this. So, for example, I thought when we watched this, I thought that Littlefinger was just stunned because Bran obviously knows something he shouldn't know about things that he's said, but also... And knows that he can't be trusted. But what I forgot was, in that scene, he is confessing to Varys that he manipulated events that led to the war in the Seven Kingdoms. So it stands to reason that if Bran knows he said those things, Bran knows everything he's done. So at that moment, he's like, holy shit, I've been caught. Uh So it was worse for him in his realization at that moment than I initially got from that scene. So that's really interesting to me. Yeah. And then he's cut right there. He's cut off by Sansa coming right then. Yeah, I loved it. It I hear um, you typing away. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm, I'm trying to find the same thing that you have. Sugar Um, tea. I'll send it to you right now. The, um, it'll be really interesting to see how far Bran goes to, uh, or the Third Eye Raven, Three Eye Raven, um, goes to telling people things that they thought were buried secrets at all time. I mean, so far it's been kept in the family and that will throw some shade at uh, Littlefinger, but he could really wreak havoc with some relationships in very quick order. Um, 
about things, and I wonder when he's going to spill the beans to Snow, uh, to John, about him. Oh, by the way, you're a Targaryen. But does he know? Oh, yeah, he does know. Yes. He does well, know. Yes. Yeah. Well, but at this point, though, he doesn't, I don't know if he has any interest in doing that. What he has interest in, interest in, is telling Sansa that John is a Targaryen. Because John is adopted. And there's this con- this power struggle between her and John. Oh, no, no. But he's a Stark and a Targaryen. Yeah. But he's I, a so, but he's a bastard. So if he tells Sansa that he's no, a Targaryen, no, no, it no, gives... No, no, no. No, no, no. They, were, they ran off together into that little fort, and then uh, Ned came and... The Tower and, of Joy. Yeah. And so I don't know if he's a bastard, because they... He they is both a loyalty and I, No... It wasn't Ned. He's not Ned's son. But he's not Ned's bastard. He's right. a bastard he's of the Targaryen Stark. It's Ned's brother's bastard. So my point is... He's I thought still... they ran off and got married. Oh. Could be. I don't know. Maybe he did. Good point. Maybe he's not a bastard after all. Either way, so, Baelish telling Sansa that... Right? Well, but but, I, but I'm saying Bran. What if Bran... Tells him that you know what really happened. That's what my, that's what my point is. If yeah. if if he says um, the prince who was promised, like let's say he says some proclamation about that, that John is the prince who was promised in the mm-hmm. the um, prophecy, right? And it's not it's not the it's it's not the prince who was promised because it's non gender specific because it could also be Daenerys, but it could also know. be also it's non. They've said that it's non gender specific, right. but I also wonder if it's non. Whether it's singular or plural, yeah. because obviously, I mean, we get to the skipping to the end. You know, it feels like this is going to be an alliance, not a single victor in in this in this situation. And so, if if the prophecy is is referring to, I mean, three seasons ago, I was thinking, okay, here's the thing: it's going to be John and Daenerys and Tyrion. They each going to be riding a dragon. It's going to be it's going to fit all together. I, I don't know. Like that feels like... really D and D, but it's very possible that it's Daenerys and Snow together, fire and ice, that the prophecy is referring to, both of them at once. Right? Yeah, yeah. No. Well, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, I mean, there's a lot of leeway they can. Get. I think they've they've given themselves enough freedom to go with it any way that they so choose. Um, but there are, you know, the Targaryens are obviously okay with um, getting it on with their siblings or oh, yes. near cousins. So, you know, the the Jon Snow Daenerys thing <laughs> could very well uh, happen. Um, but so, you know, okay. So I, I, well, let's go back, let's go back to this episode because I think all right, so we, we, have, we have a fallacy that there could be three dragons at the end of this. Oh, you're absolutely right. But okay, so so in this scene, we start with the Bran Littlefinger scenario, which yeah. was awesome. Then we have the Mira brand thing, which the whole that whole thing was a mechanism to show the brand is is beyond really him. He's post human yeah. and whatever else. He died in that. And it was he emotional. Died, he died yeah. in the cave. Yeah, when you think about what Mira went through, it was very emotional. Yeah. But then it gets real when Arya shows up. Yeah. Can we pause for a minute? Yes. Forgive the interruption. Carry on. Brand and Mira. I think what was most interesting about Arya coming back. So first, it was interesting that it's a callback to season one when she was trying to get into the Red Keep and they're blocking her. Right. Um, 
but also her confidence just blowing through the security, getting to going down into the crypt. And so again, I'm relying on this article that was pulling all this stuff together, but she is reunited with Sansa. And the last time they were together, they were in front of Ned, right? Right before his beheading. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Here they are reunited, having their confrontation in front of a sculpture of Ned, right? Yeah. Which was amazing. And, and by the way, it doesn't look like Ned. No, it doesn't look like Ned. All the people who knew knew what he looked like are dead, right? <laughs> Except for us. Right? That whole sequence was so satisfying because it was so bittersweet. Mm-hmm. They were so they were so the people they were when they were kids, but at the same time they've changed, but at the same time they haven't, right? Right. It felt but realistic. All, yeah. What I also thought it was it, it could have broken down to this weepy. My life sucks. Look what's happened to me. Both of them could have done that. Right. And they both right. just I, sort of said, "Yeah, I've, I've seen some shit." Yeah, let's see some shit. We're going to see some more shit. Yeah. Uh, we're here. Let's move on. <laughs> I thought that was um, – because it, it would have been a very easy trope to yeah. throw out there and, you know, really make it a weepy tearjerker moment. And they very well could have um, and been justified in it. But it was very refreshing that they didn't. Well, again, uh, one of those in, those indicators that women are not, in this series uh, may be victims, but they're also survivors and they're also – you know, moving forward. Right. Sure. Yeah. They're, 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 they're affecting change. They're affecting consequence in their, in their choices, which is yeah. important. Well, so, uh, watching this particular scene made me realize that I wanted, wanted to create a meme of, well, I guess I'm going to have to now and, and I'll post it after we <laughs> release this, but it's just Santa staring and it just says below it. What? <laughs> because last season, last episode, she was like, Bran, wait, wait, what? And then now she's sitting there and she's like, well, I have a list of all the people I've killed and I'm going to kill. And then Sansa's just like, what? What, <laughs> what list? Yeah. You know, that's weird. That's funny. I'm going to go get it. I'm going to refill my drink, you know. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. What a great well, and, sequence. And then what about her watching Arya and Brienne fight? And there was just like a collective purple Twinkie moment. It was super, <laughs> it was super interesting. I want to know what you think about that scene because she's really uncomfortable watching it. And then Littlefinger's sitting there like, mm-hmm, but he doesn't say anything, and then she walks off. Why Why do you think she was so uncomfortable? Is it because she didn't level up? or No, no, I, I think it's because her little sister has gone through enough in her life that she's had to learn this to survive. Yeah, and now she's I, I, putting Brianna on, on her ass. Well, and no, and, but I mean, think, think of Sansa in, in her perspective and what she's gone through which he's had to overcome, um, but has not turned into that. Right, right. right? And then, and then Arya, her little sister, the one that she was trying to protect, yeah, or take for granted, you know, depending yeah, sure. on you know what what plot arc you like. Um, now she she's also gone through stuff, but now she's turned into a fucking ninja. So uh, how badass? So I, how badass was it that her her little mock fight with Brienne mirrors her last battle with her mentor? Mm-hmm. For the uh, Blackwater scene, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In that same thing, they showed the parallel sequences in like gifts, right? And you can see she's it, it is basically following the same sequence of of well, shots dance. and moves. Remember, it's but a dance. It's a dance. It's a dance. Yes. And so once you learn the dance steps, you keep doing the dance pattern. And that remember when she was first getting taught uh, at uh, King's Landing the tutorials. Yes. It was learning how to dance. Right. And 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 that, and so that's. It's pattern reinforcement and muscle memory and kinesiology, you know, just like the karate and all the set patterns and moves that they have, right? Yep. Well, and then how about so. the whole? How about all the? How about all the parallels? Like, you know, where did you learn to fight? She asked 
Brienne that the first time she met Brienne. Mm-hmm. Where did mm-hmm. you learn to fight? My father. Where do you learn to fight? No one. No one. Right. <laughs> so but no. because because it's a faceless. Yes. They are no one. Well, it's right. the faceless, but it's also it's are a you? combination is, of her experiences. Right. And everyone is dead. I have no name. Right, 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 right. So that was super cool. And then, of course, it ends with how dope is it that uh, Bran hands her the, the dagger? The, well, before the fight scene. The clue dagger. Yeah, right, which right. she uses in that sequence. You're right. But <laughs> he hands her the, the dagger that's at the centerpiece of this intrigue and says, here, you take it. What? What use do I have? And so my first concern was that that was foreshadowing that Bran is going to be overtaken by White Walkers at some point. And he'll have no mean to defend himself. But then again, would he have been able to? But also, he just put a Valerian steel dagger that has great symbolic meaning to the Starks in the hands of their assassin daughter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right? And I cannot wait. And and going back to the Littlefinger thing, right? He claimed it was his dagger that was won from him in a bet by Tyrion. Therefore, Tyrion is clearly the one who who gave it to the assassin to use, which led Caitlyn to capture Tyrion, which led to all of the the puzzle, the, the chess pieces that led to this war. Okay, mm-hmm. but all bullshit. And if it is his dagger in the first place, now it's in the hands of someone who he's very clearly on her list. Right? Mm-hmm. Oh. I loved it. I loved him looking down at her. I loved Arya looking up at him with that slow stare while he does the sort of exaggerated bow and she's just blinking and doesn't do anything. And then he just kind of, uh, I'm going <laughs> to exit stage uh-huh. left. And she's just, okay, mm, he's on my list, right? Yep. Super and dope. And chaos is a ladder. Super dope. Yeah, I just, so, you know, what is Arya going to do with it? Kill Littlefinger, kill Cersei, kill the Night King, kill, <laughs> kill Bran. Uh, it's also interesting to think that part of uh, Arya's comment that she learned how to do this from no one is also a reference to the fact that she's learned from multiple sources to evolve to the place that she's been, right? She learned uh-huh. from the Faceless Men, the Hound, Sirio, all those people, and their lessons have led to where she is. Mm-hmm. So she's a, she's a, she's a, She's a congregate of all those things as opposed to just being a devotee of one, which I thought was Oh, yeah, cool. absolutely. Yeah. All right. So Sansa shuffles away to the left. She does. And then Littlefinger does. And then we move on to Dragonstone. So here we have this big forced reveal of the Dragonstone cave. I had some problems with it. What was your problem? Well, Too dark? No. Yeah. <laughs> I hate when they show nerd 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 moment, but I hate when they show what is supposed to be the work of a primitive civilization and some set you know you know assistant know set designer. I know it's primitive. What? I know it's primitive. They say that it's the first he's saying, Oh look, this is obviously The first men and the, the children of the forest, right? Yes. But, but they, they have they, they pastels. It starts yeah, but, with these crude patterns, and then all of a sudden it moves to a pastel painting of White Walkers. Dude. Yeah. I mean, you don't I know just, how I long it like took for them to draw that. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt like it was it was cheesy. But Remember the, the, the stone skin folks and the, the cities and the technology that were used to build those things that they lost. Yeah. yeah. That's right? true. So, so the, 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 they, they could have been 
you know, way back in the day, but that doesn't mean that they were primitive. I think that they didn't, they've never fully gone down that rabbit hole to explain that. No, no, okay, that's true. We don't know the level of their technology, but I'm still saying that it starts with these scratch mark patterns and then it leads to all of a sudden it does a jump to three color sketches of white walkers and that's the part where i was like dude come on with the focus uh-huh. on the beady green up blue eyes and all that but wait what if back in the heart of that cave was back when they were technologically advanced and then after the war when the children of the forest all went up above the wall that then the the primitive stick men really were around because they were the first men thrown back into chaos because of the horror and the apocalypse from that war with the the, the walkers I'm, so, sold. I'm not saying that's I'm lot. sold. Okay. <laughs> okay. You got it. I just felt like from a from a set design standpoint it was too jarring. I didn't I didn't follow that logic in in watching it. I believe what you say, but I didn't feel it at the time. That said, I also didn't remember all those patterns from season one. I didn't remember those really cool early shots in the first episode where you but see they've never been in that cave, right? No, but in the first episode there are <clears throat> top-down shots of the White Walkers leaving corpses in the pattern of the the circle Spiral. with the slash through them, the yeah. circle with the slash, uh-huh. which also mirrors the hand of mm-hmm. the king's symbol, and then the spiral pattern. Mm-hmm. So, and then also the spiral pattern under the the weirwood tree, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen all those images, but I kind of forgotten about those patterns, and then now seeing it on the wall, and then seeing what people have put those images together i'm like that is dope because i love pattern callbacks man mm-hmm. so I just, cool i just thought i thought it was a nice way that they're they're trying to tie that the and i think it was important because it kind of to me it also maybe convinced daenerys that this wasn't a, a load of horse pucky oh absolutely right uh speaking of the pattern uh matching and and the symbolism of daenerys versus snow um Someone posted a great side-by-side shot of Daenerys surrounded by the hands of all of the slaves she freed in that one pivotal scene. She's in the center and everyone's reaching towards her. And then the shot is put side-by-side with the scene of the Battle of the Bastards when all the bodies are collapsing in on themselves and John's in the center looking up at the camera. Same same shot. And also Superman uh, in Mexico City. No, no. uh, uh, <laughs> you know, yes, yes, but no, but yes, but, but but no. Okay. So other things in the cave that were interesting, people have made a lot of, uh, in like 24 hours, people have made a big deal about the fact the last time John went to a cave, there was some, you know, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, and then also when they came out of the cave. You know nothing, John Snow. Yes, you know nothing. But then on the way they came out of the cave, what was interesting is, because was they've done a lot of work with lighting on the show. It's very mm-hmm. important. It's very mm-hmm. deliberate that on their way out of the cave, she's illuminated by the firelight and he is illuminated by the blue. So they are inverted in their no, no, it's vice versa. He is mm-hmm. he's illuminated by the fire and she's illuminated by the blue. So mm-hmm. the fire and ice have switched in yep. that scene, which was great. And I love the fact that they're showing their charis- their charisma amidst all of this stuff that's going on. You can see that there's an attraction with them. And then I love that uh that uh, Davos is saying to him, you know, I see that you admire her, you know, whatever. And he's like, well, there's no time for that. But it's very obvious. They're making very vocal references to the fact that um, there's an obvious thing happening there, Mm -hmm. which is great. It could be fan service, but also it just so feels like it's it's pushing towards them having what. So that's the thing. That's the way we get out of this whole bend the knee situation, because he has very valid points. If he bends the knee to any king, 
the north like we're at a point where the north has been burned by king by a central king so much they're going to resist anybody if he does it he's going to lose the base that mm-hmm. he needs to fight the north or the wall but if, they, if they get married if they get married that's not a problem anymore and and whether it's a marriage or if it's just an or if it's just a romantic alliance or some sort of alliance but for her to accept an alliance with one of the kingdoms versus just demanding fealty from all the kingdoms would be a breach of this tradition that they've had for centuries that there's going to be a one king in the land. So, I don't know. That could be very interesting if they go Mm -hmm. that route. Well, I think it'll be... I think attrition's going to solve it for them. So do you... (laughs) true. (laughs) So do you think in the previous episode, uh, we didn't even mention it before, but do you remember how sweet it... I love these reaction shots, right? These are, like, so dope. Like, do you remember in the last episode when they're walking along the narrow walk leading up to the the keep at Dragonstone and Drogon strafes them and yeah. John and Davos hit the deck and, and Masanda yeah. is just standing there? Uh, he yeah. does that, you know. But no, no, the, Tyrion says, I, yeah, I could say you get used to it, but you never do. You never do. <laughs> but, but, but at the same time... Uh, I love the reaction, like holy, because you know, I, it, twice in a row now we've seen people react to the myth, the myth of dragons made real and very large, and you see the sort of like the recognition and shock and horror in their eyes. I love that, but I wonder. Well, but the, the the real good reactions are those that come uh, later on. Yes, with the the smell of uh, you know bacon. Oh yes. So, <laughs> but here's my wonder. Okay, so I know that they established that uh, dragon does these strafing runs. But I really want to see more about the dragon reacting to John, because I mm-hmm. want to know if the dragons sense the Targaryen in him, yep. and if they react to him in a way that they don't react to other people, and whether that's going to be another thing that Daenerys looks at and says, "Wait, wait, what?" Right. Well, yeah. It, but let's say one of them like gets down and puts their neck out for him to get up. Right, right, right. And then she's right. gonna be like, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> back in the chains. But no, I, I think I think the dragon picks the rider, right? Yeah, that's right. And I think that's pretty much a sacrosanct rule. So there's this whole thing about how her advisors, she's getting all antsy about wanting to, you know, make a move. And her advisors are all saying, no, 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 you can't do that. If you do that, you're going to be just like the Targaryens that came before you. If you sack the city with dragons, how are you going to expect to have... What? Yeah, no, no, you're not going to win the people's respect. You're not going to be a right. liberator. You're going to be just another asshole oh, queen, right? Right. But I also think um, the point that they, that is also talked about quite a bit is what happens if you get hurt or one of your dragons gets shot, right? And and uh, and they keep during the and she just ignores all of that. Just like this is Meh. the yeah, yeah. This is this is the uh, the yellow brick road, right? This is mm-hmm. the curtain we all fear what is he a king in or emperor or whatever he is in in that story but it's the the land fears him until the curtain is pulled back and it's just a guy with a yeah an automaton so she's feared that her power is her imagery and Mm -hmm. the superstition and the shock of the dragons Mm -hmm. if you show the dragons can be injured and you show that she's human in theory, all bets are off. All yeah. bets are off, which leads right into the end of the episode. But mm-hmm. um, so, in the end, you think that maybe they've convinced her to hold off, and then of course you find out that no, she went off and did what she's going to do anyway. 
Well, but I think I think they planned it. I think that again, we were privy to one part of the conversation when she, you know, it was surprising. You know, she talks to Tyrion, talks to um, uh, Melisandre, and then uh-huh. says, "Jon Snow, what would you do?" Masanda. And, Masanda, and and it's uh, and he says, "Yeah, you, if you just act like one of the lunatics that punishes them and kills them and doesn't value their lives, then you're just." another part of the chain you're not doing anything new you're no different than the people that you supposedly despise and then i think there's that other part okay so what would you do and well he just heard right because they they say all the things about castle rock uh and high garden getting sacked and yeah for the you're money right. you're right this and is so, the third so, angle because she did right. not go after the keep she went after the money you're right. right. And so, and so did, did Snow say that? Did Tyrion say that? Who said that? I think it would be very interesting to find out. But also pivotal in that scene is that she asked John what he thought. Mm-hmm. And everybody was kind of taken aback. Yes. Yes. Including so. John. <laughs> so then we get to the pivotal moment where Theon washes ashore. What? Can I ask us one other question? Real quick? No. No. Please. Because one thing we do not do on this podcast is do digressions. Okay. So the one thing that I had a problem with the dragon glass yes. is how the heck are they going to mine that? Time it, me. Well, but what? They're going to smash it up and break it, and then it's going to fall in shards, and then how are they going to turn those into weapons? That's what I want to see. Wrap a little bamboo around the back end of it and stabby, stabby. <laughs> Very robust engineering there. <laughs> Set the leather on the steel. <laughs> Listen, man. Time you me. Okay. Six weeks later. I just, yeah, I just don't. They're going to get all of the shipbuilders that put together a, you know, uh, 33,000 hectare forest worth of timber to create a ironborn fleet in one sixteenth of the time we need. In a week. And then uh, they're going to take them and say, hey, make some weapons real quick. Are you done yet? You're done, right? Yeah, 20,000. We need 20,000 swords, 100,000 arrows. And uh, sixty thousand spheres. No, no, no. Although, let's the the one the one thing I'll say about that is that John's game is the North, and he has a lot of time because at this point the 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 Winter Army hasn't breached the wall yet. But they're marching so to the east, though. They are right. But that's to the east side of the wall. My point is, he's down at the bottom of the continent, prepping, and so there's time to build weapons and then go up north. It's not like he needs to make them. Next week, but, on, but oh wait, on what fleet? Oh, just uh, the, 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 the wave the hand. <laughs> what uh, what I want? What I want is someone to impale Euron and then take his ship, and then they all take the the Iron Fleet back up north. That would be dope. That yeah, or the dragons uh, pull the ships along. Hold on a second. <laughs> well, actually, though, I was wondering though. I actually thought this seat this episode i was wondering if we were going to see the dragons carrying cargo because i thought at that moment that they were we were going to see the dragons pulling or carrying loads yes. of soldiers that were going to be dropped yes. but but let, let's wait because when we get to that scene I, I have a whole lot of other tactical questions that i yes. think they yes. they just kind of screwed up but yes. <clears throat> anyway because remember we're in a world where there are no scouts because the Greyjoy Greyjoy fleet was completely surrounded and immediately decimated <laughs> By a stealth attack that was by one ship that's supposedly really quiet, but an armada of ships, magical mystery new ships that are not quiet. And none of those ships, none of the defending ships had lookouts. 
and they just came out of the fog and immediately jumped and everyone and just killed everybody immediately and it was that was yeah. it. There's no Sneak rear attack. guard. There's no vanguard. There's no. no yeah. yeah. You're a navy man. People don't know this about Blake, but he was a navy man. Yes. And there's one thing that that Blake does not tolerate, and that is bullshit on the high seas, right? Bullshit on the high seas and gross military tactical errors. Bullshit in the harbor is another story. Yes. So uh, no, Blackwater in, Bay is okay. Yeah. When you're in port, when you're in port, it's a different yes. thing. But, yes, yes. But you know, sailing over chains, legit. Mm-hmm. Being ambushed in a very t- so there is one one of the things that people have commented on looking at the map of Westeros is that. It's not as shocking that Euron Sweet's moving around and is ambushing um, Yara's ships and all that, given how tight they are. The proximity of things in that region is actually very small, though, without modern technology, ships should pass at about, you know, whatever it is, 3,000 feet, and you wouldn't be able to see them. So I still don't know how they ran into each other, but... But at least it's not the same as, like, they're in the Pacific and somehow they ran into but, each other. But traveling hundreds of miles back then under wind power yeah, is yeah. going to take a hell of a long time. Magic wind, though. Okay. So, I'm going to stop. So, so we have the big confrontation of uh, Theon landing and John and Davos showing up on the beachhead and seeing them show up. I love the thing where it's like, is that an Ironborn ship? Yeah. And then they show up and he comes ashore and then John walks up and looks at him and he looks at him. It was very it was very telling that uh Theon's comment was how's Sansa? Sansa. Right. Yeah. Because either it's he honestly cares about what happened to her or he's trying to remind really quickly remind you he got her out of a bad situation, please don't kill me. And, then you know, because yeah. the last time John saw him, you know, yeah, yeah he should be so on a good. pike. I, it still would have been very gratifying if uh, Snow would have just uh, popped his head off. It would have been interesting. It would have been a very interesting Game of Thrones moment if John went up and just basically disemboweled him. Yeah. Ble- bleeding all over the rocks or whatever. <laughs> that would have been amazing. <laughs> and everyone's like, blink, blink. Wait, what? Yeah. It would be another what moment for Game of yeah. Thrones for me. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so that was interesting. Um, it felt really narratively out of place for Theon to show up and say that he wants Daenerys' help to rescue Yara because they were her fleet. So what is that supposed to mean? That she's going to fly a dragon out there? Like what? None of it made any sense to me, but it was an interesting confrontation. It immediately made me think of all the, so much of Theon's backstory that we don't even acknowledge anymore because of the post reek situation with him. But, you know, going back to the Starks, his betrayal and claiming to have killed the, the younger Starks and then him taking Winterfell and all that stuff, it was, it was a really big betrayal at the time. Yeah. And so, yeah, he should have been decapitated immediately or disemboweled, which I read. Yeah. Prefer. So anyway, so that it's, was, it's, it's not, it's not good. So do you, so do you feel based on what we're seeing do you feel that Tyrion is a bad strategist or do you think he's just better at politics than he is strategy and that his strengths are elsewhere? Or is he just acting <clears throat> on the information he has, like I said before, and this is just what's happening? Well, I, I think he is a fine strategist. I just think he's, he's acting uh, in a very predictable way. And, and Jamie and Cersei have his number. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, as we see at the end of the episode, so does Jamie. 
and him watching Jamie, he's saying the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. Don't do the thing that I know you're going to do. Because mm-hmm. they know each other, right? In that in that way. They could predict what each other are going to do. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So, well, but I, think, I think there's a whole... I think there's a whole bunch of um, it'll be really interesting to see where they take the next episode to see how they resolve a lot of things that we'll talk about later on. But well, I later think, on um, is now because here yeah. we are at the Rose okay. Road. The okay, Rose Road is what it's called, but thereafter, I think they're going to call it the you know whatever is Fire Road or you know. <laughs> so the, <laughs> it's going to have a different name after this, right? Because uh-huh. here we have the Loot Road, we have the Loot Train of all of the sacking of High Garden. The Tarleys have escorted under Lannister supervision back to King's Landing, and they've brought the gold in. And this is—I don't know what this is. This is the remainder of the. This is just the remainder of the guard. It's kind of—it was kind of weird to me. They said that they got the gold in, and now they were just bringing the rest. I don't know whatever they're doing. Just we shoved it in, and now we're all out here, or whatever. Right, right. And then you have this whole sequence where it's Hollywood style. You know, here they come. They're surrounding us on all sides, and it's a clash of cultures and all this other stuff. And then we have the big reveal of the dragons that we've been waiting for for ten years. Now that but, said, what's it? The dragons are just one. That's my other question. One, 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 one dragon. Right. Now that yeah. said, really interesting situation with Braun. Yeah. Because spoils of war, right? He got his cash. He has been on both sides. He's been Tyrion's man and he's been Jamie's man. Here mm-hmm. he's got his money. He wants his payout. He's told, you know, well, you don't want that. It's, you know, whatever. Just keep on going. Do what you're doing. Think of the overhead and the yeah. maintenance. Yeah, yeah, which was all really <laughs> cool because the nerd in me was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's a big empty. That's why you can buy a castle for 10 bucks right now in Scotland. But, you know. For a pound of haggis. Yeah, it costs cost ten thousand a day a year a month to maintain it or whatever. But and the back taxes are killers. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, anyway, that whole sequence was very interesting. And then we have this. They hear this. They hear the th- the the you know, the thrumming of the of the hooves. And here they are. Okay. Well, but but also don't forget the the hell of war. Remember they had a little aside with Dickard. Oh yes. Yes. And yes, then yes. they're like, "Is this your first time?" And then they teach you this in school. And people stink when they die. They shit their pants. Uh, and and how everybody's kind of just freaked out about uh, how awful war is, and then shh, smell something. Yeah. Uh, that <laughs> yeah, that's doom. <laughs> so I didn't remember this at all, but I read this later. That was a really interesting callback to King Baratheon mm-hmm. when he was telling his story. Did you remember that? Mm-hmm. I didn't remember that. War is hell. War is hell. Baratheon said he remembers his first kill. And it was a Tarly. Mm-hmm. And here's a Tarly describing the same thing. I don't remember. I didn't really think it was going to be this way. It smells like shit. Everybody's crying. It feels weird. The guy I just killed was an ally and all this other stuff. So it was a, a direct callback to the first season and to what King Baratheon was talking about in his experience. Mm-hmm. Snap! I loved it. <laughs> Why couldn't Lost do that? <laughs> I don't know. All right, so... <laughs> Bad writing. Bad and also really bad casting on this guy that they keep calling Dickhead or whatever that they call him, and he has to correct Dickard. his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, Dickard. yeah, he's just he looks so much like Future Man from the Wes Anderson films. He's just Patrick Wilson. He just looks so like. <laughs> anyway, anyway, okay. I want him dead. So I want all the Tarleys dead, Blake. To be honest with you. Mm-hmm. So okay, 
the invading Dothraki, we finally get to see the clash of cultures. Jump, <laughs> Whoops, ass. They jump on the horseback, they jump on the saddle, and ding, fire their arrows and all that other stuff. You see two different styles of long-range bow work. Indirect fire is what the uh, Lannisters use, kind of conventional for this sort of pseudo-period of medieval technology, mm-hmm. late medieval mm-hmm. technology, right? Learning to do that. And then the Dothraki come in and do the straight charge and do short short range bow work and then on the back of horses on the back of horses and then plow right through the barricades well and, and so awesome. they, had a, they had a little assist by a, an airborne flamethrower yes. that created a big gaping hole through the picket charge and uh, kind of gave him a flanking maneuver from the inside oh, out it was so amazing <laughs> have you ever seen I mean, so here was the big reveal that we've been waiting for forever, which is the dragons in action. Have you ever seen a dragon have so much uh, just awesome, uh, just power, raw power and scale in a, huh. in, a, in, a, in a thing? I've never seen anything like it. The, the well, sustained to... breathing of the fire, the long, all the way down the train before he would. Yep. And then he would just go do a little suck in and do another blast of it. Well, and the only thing that I can think of that comes close is uh, smog mm-hmm. at the beginning of uh, The Hobbit. Oh, yeah. Right? When they, they, they did the whole scene and the... the I refuse. Uh, I didn't see it. The, the... Should I see it? Edoras, right? I was uh, told I shouldn't see it. You haven't seen it? Mm-mm. But the, they, they have a pretty good lead up and a pretty good scene with smog. Or smog. But it pales in comparison. To good old Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, but but I mean the the bodies turn to ashes. The people, oh, yes. you know, on fire. Even when they jump in the water, the the, the whole dragon fire. Oh yeah, in water. Oh yeah. Uh, and and the reaction to, of Jamie. Oh my god, that was amazing. And Rom too. Yeah, it's looking up at him like, oh fuck. <laughs> <laughs> right, but then but then getting angry. Yeah. Uh, and pissed off at this flying freaking iguana that's charring up all my buddies. Uh, and so, still having the wherewithal to right. go get the uh, you have the criticisms. Big you have tactical criticisms. I want to hear them because yes. I have some too. Go so ahead. why go. not use all three and do a series of flanking maneuvers where they're protected and they just do crossfire across the whole thing and then you know back and forth strafing runs. Yes. Um, it it, it would have just it would have been over before it began. My first my- thought was that she's got the dragons deployed elsewhere. But then my second thought was, I don't think she can control all three at the same time. I feel like she's on on the back of Dragon, and she's controlling him, and the others are sort of kind of just kind of hovering and surrounding and just doing whatever they're going to do. Except for the battle um, of the fleet mm-hmm. back when she mm-hmm. um, put the slavers down, right? And they and all three went out and burned their boats. Yeah, you're right. You're right. right. And so I just I hope there's a story reason for why she only took one. Well, maybe Tyrion told her you can't risk all three because if one gets killed, then you yeah. But at the same time, you can't risk you either. Well, by the way, she just told him to go pack sand on that. Yeah. So, but I'm hoping that the next episode we find out that the other dragons were deployed. I think that would be really cool. But yeah, good point. Good question. And and the the other tactical thing is uh, the Lannisters, supposedly for being military geniuses. Turned out to be fucking idiots. That they didn't have any rear guard. They didn't have any scouts right. out. Again, yeah, total yeah. ambush doesn't make sense. Yeah, it was it was it was a clown outfit. Um, yeah, there's no reason why an invading force should have been able to get within miles of them. 
I mean, I understand they, they may be complacent. They think they're under no threat. They think they've been smarty pants. They outdate everyone. But um, everybody seems to forget. And another tactical error is how close <laughs> the Dothraki and, and Dragonstone were to King's Landing. It appears to be just like an hour's ride. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and that includes the pit stop for sandwiches. Right, because I don't know how road sodas. You, how you take over High Garden, which is pretty far away, and then move all the gold back, and then Dragonstone, which is up here, oh, yeah. and and Limey, the, Limey. The, I just I don't. That's forbidden. I, I don't understand about. unless the dragon, you know, carried them all, right. the entire Dothraki, and all the horses over. It was. I was impressed when they showed at the end of last season, tentatively shoving Dothraki onto ships and then being all nervous and sailing them across the narrow sea. I thought that was really cool infrastructure. I thought that was really good world building showing how Mm -hmm. tentative that was for them. Now, now they just, they teleported a massive, you know, basically native American force attacking (laughs) the redcoats, right? It was dancing with dragons. Yeah, it totally was. Uh, that said, it was super fun. But, but the, the, the choreography and the fighting were exceptional. I did not right? buy for one minute that Brom... So, A, okay, so here's my one of my tactical problems or my logic problems. I would suspect that it takes a fair amount of learning to know how to use a normal scale. What is it called? A ballista? Well, it's, it was a, it, it's a big, high fit flute and crossbow. Yeah, right. So it All takes... Right. You have to understand the principles of indirect fire. You have to understand the principles of how the physics of how to arc a thing yeah. and how to aim it and all this other stuff. Yeah, they Plus, call this, they, how they to move this. it, how to align it, how to get the thing in place, how to notch it, and how to th- how to shoot it. Okay, so probably just scorpion. randomly it's ran it's over there scorpion. and did it. It's a huh? scorpion in this series. Yes, they call it a scorpion. Yes, but so he just randomly knew how to do all that, and that well, irritated me. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Maybe, maybe the Meister taught him I, the crash course. You and I, with contemporary knowledge of how these things work, would be hard-pressed to shoot a dragon out of the sky with a supersized crossbow, just like you and I, without training and practice, would have a hard time hitting a target with a bow and arrow. Mm -hmm. So Bram, I have no evidence to suggest that he knows how to fire a bow and arrow, let alone a giant crossbow at great distance at an aerial moving target. He just dove right in. And I don't think the hand crane can be operated by one dude. No. If it, if it has enough tension to fly one of those 100-pound bolts out of it. Which, by the way, he lifted and carried like it was 10 pounds. Yeah. Also, also, I find it difficult to imagine that he would use a bolt on a fucking Dothraki that's chasing him down. He grabbed a couple of knives or whatever out of his swords off to other people. Why didn't he run around the corner then run around the other corner stab him in the back like why would he it, go through the work of spinning that thing around it was all for for the effect of the drama and i get it but it really bothered me that he would do it it felt very D again it felt like my player because i was always a judge i always feel like my, i felt like my player was like i'm gonna use the, the giant crossbow on the orc eh, 20 i'm like okay well i guess you did yeah <laughs> but that was one of your five crossbow bolts that you had so yeah no i i, I hear you it was uh what else? It, it was all it was all done because of the visual of the guy sticking sure. into a wagon yeah. uh, and not falling off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's getting stuck. Well, and then also, you know, just from like you said about the military strategy. So once again, we have no scouts and no no protecting flanks or anything else. Just this assumption that it's just here we are. We have the armor and we're going to march in this direction. But 
also, that was a very stretched out supply train that made no sense. And even mm-hmm. if you imagine that a good chunk of the army is already in the keep and they brought the brought the gold, why do mm-hmm. you have this like weird? They made all these references to the fact that their conscript army was lazy and they were all like they they were making camp. There were people were singing and you know someone had made a fire and there was all this stuff going on that suggested it almost I had no idea at the start of that scene that they were right at the outside edge of the castle. Right. Or they were actually at the town, right? It looked like they were along the way and they were just kind of not having because there was this whole thing with Tarly saying, well, well, we're just going to burn the people who are at the back of the line. <laughs> and, uh-huh. You know, it, it suggested that they were just slow as shit and not following the regimen of of mar- of 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 progress to get to to get to their destination. And yet then all of a sudden it seems like they're actually at the edge of King's Landing and dicking around. Right. Mm-hmm. Didn't make Very sense. Much so. Did it make sense? No. Was it fun though? It was, it was, Super I thought it was the best. Fun. It was the, besides the battle of the bastards. This is the, this is probably my second favorite episode. Uh, battle of the bastards. Fun. Yeah. And then also, um, <sighs> hard home. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's number three. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and, and granted it's so long ago and the budget was so much smaller that, um, Blackwater was, it almost seems small in comparison, but I remember at the time being really thrilled by some of the things that they chose to do in that. At the time, that was the biggest thing they had done. Right. Yeah. Well, it was spectacular. When but they, this when was they did like, it. this was just unreal. The level of just like, holy shit, it just keeps on going in this scene just coming back around again, blasting the the wagon train, <laughs> coming back around again, blasting these troops over here. Just watching, uh, watching Jamie Brahm saying to go, just go. And Jamie refusing yeah. to go. And then realizing more and more like, well, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like, that was, but I'm not going to, but I'm not going to run. It uh, was really I, interesting I, choice. I'm going to, I'm going to charge. The dragon, <laughs> and, and he uh, and, and I could see from his perspective, like he thought that he had a chance there. The dragon yeah, no was chance. down on the ground. No, I, She's yanking on the bolt. They certainly filmed it that way, but I mean, it looked it was very compelling. It looked like he he thought he had that moment. Like here was his only chance. What choice well, does he have? Well, I, I think that's it. It was just like, okay, what else am I going to do? I'm, I'm not going to run away. Yeah, I, I'm going to go down fighting. Here's my chance to big, to make the big move. And I don't know if he was trying to kill the dragon or her. I think he was trying to kill her. her yeah. Right. Well, and, uh, oh, and by the way, I loved when uh, Drogon landed and he he did a swat with his tail and broke the <laughs> broke the scorpions. Yeah. Like that's that. But uh, I I love that he's coming at. I, I thought it was really effective that he gets really close and then the dragon head comes swivels around and you see it fi- like fire up and he's like ah fuck. Right. Yeah, but 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 the, uh, Drogon knew. He was coming a long time before he torched him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and because Daenerys turns around and because they, they have the mental link going. And so I'm right. pretty sure the drone is like behind you. And then boom. Yeah. So and then, of course, this... the ending, at the ending, are Ron and Jamie going to be dead? Well, so, OK. So I so you have to give them some artistic license because obviously this was for the dramatic thematic effect. But you have Brom jumping, grabbing him, knocking him out of the way, which is very out of character for Game of Thrones, because I'm pretty sure there's not much jumping out of the way of a fireball, but that's okay. It was for dramatic no, effect. There was another willing suspension of disbelief in that moment. And that right. is the infinitely deep river? 
Yeah. That, he sinks like he's in the middle of the sea. But but you see wagons yeah. on fire that tilt over, and you can still see the wagons in the middle of the river. Yeah. So they, they must have fallen into uh, the the Abyssian Trench. Yeah. So I feel like that. that that whole sequence of him like, oh, you know, descending into the depths was, was symbolic. And it right. was, you know, it was sort of like visual hyperbole. Like it's not really – I don't think that they're really suggesting that it's an infinitely deep trench in the middle of that river. But – I'm I'm very skeptical that he's drowning in his armor, although that would have been I think that would actually be a very ballsy thing for them to do, given how much setup there is about Jamie in the books. I think it'd be amazing if they just drowned him. <laughs> but no, I, I don't think they I will. think Tyrion's gonna jump in and save him. No, 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 no. Yeah, Tyrion. <laughs> Unloose the strap. What? <laughs> no, I think it's gonna be what I think it's gonna be is a dragon fishing him out. That she's gonna be like, fish him out, and he's gonna be like, <laughs> pull him out of the water. Right, I think that would but, be an amazing scene. To well, see probably the only thing that can get him, right? Yeah. What? I think the only thing that can get him, right? If yeah. it's really that deep. And what about Bronn? Is he just gone? I don't know. I think it would be wonderful seeing see him sort of crawling through the mud, like <laughs> make a run for it. Because you know, I yeah, I like that guy a lot, but I think that you know, I don't think he ever, ex- I don't think he ever signed up for that. <laughs> no. So, do you think? So, what do you think is going to happen next? What do you think is going to happen with Jamie? Do you think that they are going to rescue him, use him as a hostage, rescue him, kill him? Is he going to be dead? Or do you think they're going to rescue him and turn him? I think now that Jamie knows that Tyrion did not kill Joffrey, right? Right. Um, they saw they they pulled Jamie out of the muck, um, and. They had Tyrion and Jamie. I, I think Jamie has to go through a period of shit with Snow and Daenerys and yeah, yeah and everybody. But I think there's a moment where um, maybe even Jamie bends the knee. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I think he's uh, going to go back to. I think he's going to go back to Cersei, and you know, present as if he's still her, or try and convince her that he maybe Tyrion and Snow convince. Jamie of the Night King and the Walkers, mm-hmm. and then they use Jamie to try and convince Cersei that the real enemy is up north. Um, but I think I think there's going to be just like you saw three Starks mm-hmm. in Winterfell, three Lannisters at King's Landing. Mm. Right. Interesting. So that right because you've got, I mean, that the, there is the symmetry there is I think very deliberate, right? Um, and so the three Lannisters united, the three Starks united, Jon Snow somewhere in between, and Daenerys. I think there's, there's except for the fact that uh, Cersei has to die a horrible death. Do you well, think that maybe, they could possibly go the direction of her not? I mean, there's no way. There's no way that that I I, I appreciate the symmetry idea, but no, because I, I think it will happen whether or not that they they come together as you know two trios. But I think you're going to see Tyrion, Jamie, and Cersei together at King's Landing at some point. Yeah. They've made a lot of um, very strong suggestions that Tyrion's excommunication from King's Landing is not permanent. That you right. know, even Daenerys has challenged him now. Maybe yeah, I didn't you... want him to suffer. And you see yeah. him watching the – so you see him watching the, the Lannister soldiers burning and dying. 
And the question is, is he feeling guilty about this? These are his people or is he feeling bad about the fact that, well, these are just people <laughs> getting roasted? Because why would we why? What is the implication that he has any loyalty to House Lannister? He was treated oh, like shit from birth no, no. and he hated no. everything. So well, I don't no. see him feeling guilty about betraying think, the Lannisters. No, no. I think he just feels guilty about people dying. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah. Just just like the, the dragon fire, the Blackwater. Mm-hmm. Um, when he saw what his plan wrought, um, he was horrified by it, right? Right before he got his face cut off. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, um, people have made a big, he, I think, yeah, people I think made a big just, deal just, about the fact that there have been battles in this season that happen off screen that you just mm-hmm. see the, re- you see the start then you see the result. You don't see the battle and, oh, they cheaped out or whatever, even though they have the biggest budget ever and they were obviously using it well. But going all the way back to the to the Battle of Blackwater, he passed out. Mm-hmm. He fell. He fell over. These are being run on people are running over him or whatever. And he wipe and he wakes up and it's over. Well, but you still get to see a lot of the yeah that's true. Uh, spectacular special effects, right? And the, yeah, and it's because he got betrayed, and then but he got to see the aftermath of it, and he was right. That was not good. Right before yep. again, yep. he got his nose cut off. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know, but I think uh, Drogon's going to be fine, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll have to see what Daenerys does with the loot train um, or the or the loot fleet, and whether they try to block the money getting to the Iron Bank or not. So it'll be interesting to see if the if Tyrion talks some sense into her, and they start to act strategically about okay, there could be more than those more of those weapons, and we need to be careful about how we use the dragons. Yep. Which is oh, in- interesting because, as ex- as intended, they poke a hole literally in the main shock and awe weapon that Daenerys has. Mm-hmm. If she's afraid to deploy the dragons, what's the, what's the, what's the purpose of the dragons? Right. And but I, you know, again, because once people find out they can bleed, yeah. then the weapons are going to start popping up everywhere. Right. Right. Especially if if word gets back to King's Landing that uh, even though it didn't kill it one of those scorpions hurt it enough to ground it. Yeah. Right. And then if the Ravens go out to all of the, whoever's left of the Lannister friends, um, you know, getting those on ships, getting those mm-hmm. on, you know, others could be really, really wreak havoc with the superiority they think they have. But I still also think, I also think you don't necessarily need to get close to rain fire, like a, like a hell saint on them and, right. and just cook them. Right. Well, and also, also, I'm also, curious about how you could use the dragons in a in a more strategic way. Well, in a formation, <laughs> right? So you get one circling high above, right. you know, and all the scorpions are trained up, and then you have one flying low or two flying low to the ground or low to the water, and then do strafing runs before they even know you're there. That would be an easy way to do it, right? And we yeah. haven't seen yet whether dragons can swim. Because what if you could bring in a dragon under the under- water and then have it burst out in surprise? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Or under the under the cover of weather night. patterns and you know or night yeah right, right. or by night by night right so or and I can also see a circumstance where the invasion is dependent upon a an initial phalanx of special forces type types who have to get their job is to disable the scorpions yep launch a like flare launch a like flare then yep. send the dragons in. Right. What they could have done with Casterly Rock if if anybody was there. That's right. 
That's right. Yeah. All right, so that was that was our latest episode of Game of Tolls. What could they possibly do in the next episode? We have two left, I think, for the season. Three, right? Three. We've got, oh my gosh, uh, what are we? Gonna... So we got East Watch is next, and that's episode five. And then we got six and seven, and it comes to so August twenty seventh will be the last one for the season. So do you think that they're going to wrap up the Game of Thrones at the end of this season, and then have the battle against the? Night Army next season, or do you think it's still going to be a battle of two fronts? I think it's going to be a battle of two fronts. I think what will my bet is the uh, the Night King will attack the Wall and Night's Watch, the Stronghold, and maybe even start marching on Winterfell. And uh, there'll be some resolution or alliance made of a counterinsurgency from Westeros up. And then that will set the stage for next season. But I think there'll still be multiple claims to the throne, especially if Cersei is, you know, no longer with us. So it could be Cersei's gone by the yeah. end of the season. So do you th- how? So given what we've seen about the in the visions about the White Walkers movements, how do you think that they breach? I think they just come through the wall. Well, so the vision was that they come across the what's the it's the easternmost outpost on the side of the wall. The, the East Watch, right? Yeah, the East Watch. So the vision was that they come pouring through the East Watch. Mm-hmm. And yet they're supposedly limited that they can't cross the wall because of enchantments. And we have we have seen now that they swim. Or did we yes. not? Yeah. Well, they, they went into the water. I don't know. They didn't swim. They just walked on the bottom. Because that's always been the question. Like, what's the purpose of the wall if if... White walkers can just walk, you know, just go to the edge, <laughs> go yeah. along the shoreline and then come around the other side. There's some invisible line that just kind of, you know, it's like a longitudinal line or a latitudinal <laughs> line that they can't cross. But um, so I like the idea that by by Bran crossing the wall, he broke the enchantment. Hmm. That's a that's an interesting because proposal. He was scoping out the white king or the night king and then i king turned and looked at him right and he felt like panic and then he sucked himself back into his body again right so if he breached the enchantment of the wall that gives the it would be an interesting irony if his you know he's tied to the origins of the modern species and the creators of the white walkers and then he inadvertently breached the enchantments that have kept them at bay this whole time and allowed them through. I think that'd be right. amazing. Well, but so, I mean, so let's say that you go back, right? The, uh, hard home was where they had the, the first really significant engagement. Right. Right. And then the army of the dead is the slowest moving army. Right. As opposed to every other army or fleet. Sure. Sure. Um, even though they can walk day and night, even time you want No, but you just take a look at the, the geography, Right, to get from Hardhome to uh, Eastwatch by the sea, it should take like eight hours, right. given the rest of the movements here. Um, and so Eastwatch by the sea, right? Mm-hmm. You could get an engagement from where's Dragonstone compared to? Whew, that's not a long way away. Um, that is a really long way away. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
you know, if, if, if there's going to be a pincer point there, because it won't be Castle Black unless they get turned away by East Wash and they have to come up the wall to Castle Black. Um, but they could, if they get through East Wash, they could go down to Winterfell. And then that's where you have, you know, the, the really big stand. Sure. So here's and, another question I have for you. So we've seen them turn wildlings, humans. We've seen them turn giants. Poor one uh-huh. one, right? Uh-huh. Staggering along in the three. They have three giants now, right? At least. Uh-huh. Do we know whether White Walkers can turn animals? Yes, the horses they ride. Horses. So, an interesting way of... Because I've been th- trying to imagine how they could make a sustained season of, of the final winter battle. Because, you know, it's not that there isn't a lot to do there, but it's boring. Right? Mm-hmm. So how could they make this interesting? And I started to wonder, what if they fell one of the dragons and turned and turned the dragon? Yes, yeah. fire and ice. Yeah. What happens to a dragon that's undead? And is... what if they already have one? We just haven't seen it yet. Oh snap! So it's okay. a, yeah, yeah. Right. Last thing. Melisandre said that she's going back to Volantis, right? The home yes. of her, like the home city of her religion. But that's where she's from, right? Now, and then she said she's going to come back again, and then she said she and Varys are going to die in Westeros. And there was the implication in the previous episode that she's making references to the fact that Varys made an admission earlier on in an earlier season that there were whisperings to him in the fire when he was castrated. Mm-hmm. And we never knew what they were, but the suggestion is maybe that the fire god was talking to him and she made a reference to him that suggests that she knows that it did and so forth. Mm-hmm. So, my question is, Melisandre is mm-hmm. going to Volantis and then coming back to what end? Do you think, because where, what is the source of dragon eggs? Isn't it Volantis? I thought the dragon eggs in the books or whatever, somewhere I read that the origin of the dragons or the source of whatever, the dragon eggs. Because in the beginning of this, if the show, someone has mysteriously found three dragon eggs and gave it as a gift. I thought, I thought they were found in, outside of Karth oh, in the so. Red Waste. Well, I thought that maybe that the she dragons, was going the to give more eggs. Right. I thought the dragons were responsible for... Like the stone skin, the red waste, all the great cities that they, they never could find again. Um, the dead city. Remember the tower that they had to go up to? Uh-huh. Um, I thought that was, you know, how they came through the red waste over to Slaver's Bay. And then they did the marine, Yunkai, mm. Astapor, and Mantras. So you could be right. It could be Volantis, which is down there, but it's not. There's an interesting uh, thematic tether between the red god or the fire god and people that worship a fire god, and a larger-than-life mystical creature that breathes fire. That breathes Uh dragon fire, for God's sakes. Uh So my thought when she said she was going back to get something was that she's going to go back and get more dragons. More More dragons. Because these three eggs were the first known ones in the modern era that, you know, they didn't just hatch out of nowhere. They They didn't appear out of nowhere. And that's something the show has never explained, how there were these eggs all of a sudden. After centuries of none. Well, I think that they thought they were fossils, right? Hmm. And it was part of the uh, wedding present deal that they got for um, 
Daenerys. Kaldor, Daenerys to marry. Um, yeah, call, uh, call Drago. Yeah. <sighs> I just want more dragons. I want more dragons. I know you do. I saw I saw a clip online of the image of, um, it was it was a behind the scenes of how they how they shot this whole sequence at the uh, Blackwater Rush, and you know they're showing the rig that they've got. Um, Amelia Clark on as she's riding it and whatever and how they then superimpose the dragon and and all the practical fire uh, t- pyrotechnics that they use to create this mm-hmm. scene and then they supercut to a shot of baby dragon being given a chunk of red meat and like <laughs> and then bursting like kind of puffing it with fire and uh, you know it may really maybe lament and 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 be nostalgic for baby dragons again. Especially in light of the fact that the show has timey wimey powers now because they can have like baby dragons in the next scene. Big dragons, you know. Yeah, I know. So, anyway, okay, yeah. So, this episode was bigger and better and more uh, bodacious than the previous one, which already was seemed like it was the pinnacle compared to what came before it. I don't even know. I noticed this time that when I went to start the episode, I had this little trepidation like, Oh, is it going to open with a, a, a favorite character of mine getting their throat slit or something? Or not yet. Every it scene is. has every episode is just like up, you know, upstaging the one before. So, well, especially the, I mean the the cold open for episode oh, yeah. one. Oh yeah, right. Where <laughs> they kill off fifty people by a mass poisoning. Yes, that no one talks about anymore because it's fucking phrase, man. <laughs> Can you imagine them calling the castle? Hey, I want to speak to Frey. And the women like, uh, uh he's not here. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. Nothing, <laughs> Nothing to, to see here. We Nothing had a problem. Here. Nothing okay to report. Now. Everything's fine. Don't send stormtroopers. All right. Well, anyway, okay. So that was great. Good to talk to you about it. Um, yep. So we have an eternally long six days to go. Until the next episode, I don't know how we're going to deal. So I'm going to get to watch the next episode right before I go on vacation with the kids down to L.A., which means I'm not going to get a chance, to, I think, to talk about it before the following one. Yeah. So we're next up, probably going to have another double episode talk, but I don't you even know. Do the, you can't do the last two at once. This is, oh. I'm telling you, it's going to be too much. No, no, because we have the three left. Body, the, the human body can only take so much. No, but we have three left, so. Yeah, I know. So we'll yeah, do, I'm saying we can't wait to do the last two. No, you're right. We'll yeah. do... Number three, number two, and then finally number one. Even even you have to call in from the Viper Room, if that still exists. Yeah. <laughs> the Viper Room. Walking chalk or uh, Phoenix chalk marks, River Phoenix chalk marks. Okay. <laughs> too soon. Too, too soon. soon. This is never too soon. All right. So uh, yeah, okay. Thanks for thanks for uh, hopping on and talking about this. And yep. uh, I hope next time we can get Chris back in and something. Yeah. I, I, I told him I was sending him as much ice as I could, <laughs> but I don't know. Well, Chris, uh, uh, when you hear this, hope everything is okay, man, and uh, be safe. Yes. Ice water. Lots of ice water. Lots of ice water and uh, lots of flame retardant materials. Dig a little moat. Yeah. All right, cool, man. So okay. uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, where so where can they find me, Third Rail Design Lab, across all forms of social media, you can look up Third Rail Design Lab or TRDL. You can email me at Tom, T-H-O-M, at thirdraildesignlab.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have a group dedicated to Robot Kraken, which is the best place to ask stuff. But we're also on Twitter and you know Instagram as well. So if you have additional comments or thoughts about what we talked about or what you 
took away from these last two episodes and you want to share it, please post. We've had some of that happening already. It's been great. And, uh, and also my last, uh, shameless plug is please. If you do listen to this on iTunes, the system is rigged, man. You gotta, you have to subscribe to the feed. You gotta give us a minimum five star, (laughs) five star rating, minimum five, and then post a review and say how much you love the the feed, and then hopefully that will get published. And every positive review and ranking that is offered sets up something in the Apple algorithm that allows our podcast to be sent to more people. Really, come give it increased exposure. I know I've I've personally been told at least a dozen people have made reviews, and we have three on the stream huh. that Apple has published. So for whatever reason. Whatever reason, it, they don't publish all of them. So I don't know what it is, but all I'm saying is all of our 333 listeners, subscribe, five stars, glowing review, particularly about how Blake is doing, and then uh, and then hopefully we'll get some more exposure. It'll be great. I'm going to go write another review right now. Do it now. Early and often. That's what yeah. I say. Chicago stuff. Yeah. Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Deep dish. Deep dish. All right. Thanks. Bye, Blake. Bye. Have a good night, everyone. I wish I could stay and celebrate, but there is work to be done.